does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Good Tuesday morning to you. It's another gorgeous day here in Indianapolis. Again, I do not believe in weather jinxes. It looks outstanding for Friday at Carb Day. And I would say the weather we had yesterday looks pretty reminiscent to what we could see coming up here on Sunday for the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. So good Tuesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, and Mark Dykton. Um, Jake, it took... What, 18 hours of on-track activity, something over 8,500 laps for our first incident of the month uh, with Catherine Legg and Stefan Wilson. Both stories, both individuals obviously have some pretty unique stories to running the 500, and unfortunately for Wilson, a broken vertebrae will take him out for Sunday. So, Stefan Wilson is in fact out. Extremely likable guy extremely kind of a heartbreaking story I, I mean relatively speaking Stephen Wilson's going to be okay you know he he'll he'll be able to race another day another time that's the important thing but I think most people know and for those that do not and good morning to you on as Kevin said a spectacular looking morning this morning um Stephen Wilson is the younger brother of Justin Wilson who was perhaps the most likable personality in IndyCar at the time of his passing due to a crash where he was fatally injured in Pocono a couple of years ago. And Stefan Wilson is the the 100% quintessential underdog story of scratching, clawing, coming up with sponsorship, building a relationship with a young team, getting into the Indy 500, coming back the next year, working at it putting himself in an even better position and he gets into the race and then yesterday in practice at no fault of his quite frankly um, they were going into turn one I think some traffic kind of checked up which is what we you know what you know you either lift out of the throttle or you, pump, you hit the brake a little bit and Catherine Legg was coming up behind him did not realize that everybody was checking up made contact with the rear of Stefan Wilson's car both go into the wall Catherine Legg <clears throat> Uh, thankfully, got out under her own power. So too did Stefan Wilson, but he was placed onto a back uh, board and then taken to Methodist Hospital where they determined that he had the fractured vertebrae. Wilson will not be able to race. St- uh, Catherine Legg presumably will. Um, matter of fact, she was cleared. She was already released from the infield care center and cleared. They will have to repair her car. Stefan Wilson's car, the engine was, the motor was pretty damaged. If they have to replace the engine, he will start 30, that car, I should say, will start 33rd. Um, the driver can always, you put the driver in, you change the driver, they can always, they, they would start 33rd. But you can always change the driver, even regardless of injury, because it's the and car, you don't not go the driver. to 33rd. Uh, if you. If you change the driver, to if you change the driver, I believe you still start thirty third. Okay. Yes, you but okay. but either way, uh, I'd have to look at that. I know that's what Mario did when he had someone drive for him, qualify the car when he was in Formula One. I think the rule is still the same. But either way, they're going to have to change the motor. I, whoever gets in that car is going to start thirty third, presumably. But the, the interesting thing is this, and this is the question that everyone was asking yesterday, and so 
I don't usually do this, but I thought, okay, we might as well have like an educated perspective in the morning, right? No, shocking. We're going to educate here. That's right. Wow. Mark, what are we doing in this program? We educate and entertain. Thank you. Graham Rahal was the first name that came to everyone's mind. Does this mean Graham Rahal is in the Indy 500? Now, Literally the first question Maddie asked me when she got home from work yesterday. I saw Catherine Leg crash. Does that mean Graham Rahal races? Catherine Leg is, of course, Graham Rahal's teammate. Catherine Leg will be in that car racing as was planned. If they re- you know, they're going to repair that car, Catherine Leg is in that car. Stefan Wilson's car is a different story. The challenge that I think very that the vast majority of people overlooked was this. Stefan Wilson's car for Cusick Motorsports and Dreyer and Reinbold Racing is a Chevrolet. Graham Rahal, driving for Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing, is a Honda and has always been very closely affiliated with Honda. So there are presumably some contractual things that would need to be worked out between Honda and Chevrolet that would, if they were going to allow Graham Rahal to get into that car, that Honda would basically allow him to drive in a Chevrolet. Additionally, there are contractual things that need to be sorted out as to whether or not there is fine print that his sponsors, that he would be presumably bringing with him, that his sponsors would also be affiliated or directly connected to Honda. I had the immediate assumption that those things would not even be, that that would be the immediate end of conversation. Last night, I was in conversation with one one driver who, quite frankly, would be right in the mix as one that would be a possibility and did not have conversation with Graham Rahal, but it is my understanding after yesterday that in fact that conversation and those contractual explorations are taking place to see if it would be possible for Graham Rahal to be in that car. And I think around 10 o'clock today we're going to know. I just assume, Jake, and I happened to be in the media center yesterday over there and actually went up and sat in the uh, penthouse of Turn 1 yesterday. I've always been curious what that view looks like. It's an incredible view. I tweeted out a video of practice. I actually left that seat just before the Catherine Leg incident happened with Stefan Wilson. But the immediate thought I had, and I saw this person in the media center, was I was like, oh, there's J.R. Hildebrand. Won't he be first person up? Because he has history with Ryan Reinbold. Um, he seems to make it pretty clear that he's kind of the 35th, I guess, 34th, 35th person. He's he's here for a reason right now. Like, and he passed the physical. He's already taken the physical. physical. And yeah. I almost forget with Hildebrand, Jake, he's raced in every single Indy 500 since 2011. He also, by the way, if you look at his driving record, and this is what's interesting about J.R. It's Hildebrand. like Mini Ferrucci. It, Hildebrand is fascinating, Kevin, because he will always be known for the fact that in his first Indy 500, he was one turn away from winning the race, right? And he hit the wall. But since then, he's been a model of consistency. Yes, and And moved up lately. Correct. He is the classic example of start him 25th, totally forget he's out there, don't even mention his name. Uh, Some car goes by and you're like, who is that? Like 67 that I keep seeing. And they're like, oh, it's, it's... J.R. Hildebrand. And then you look at the box score and you go, he finished eighth? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is top 20 in 11 of his 12 starts. And really, it's more like kind of a top 15 
in, in a huge chunk of them. So I assumed Dreyer and Ryan Bull, but Jake, it sounds like Graham Rahal is a real possibility. I would say that that is accurate. So Depending we- upon the contracts, that, that's huh. the thing, is, is how much there would be some money exchanged. So That's we'll, not to say that Ray Hall's buying his way in. I'm saying with sponsors and engines and everything else. Well, obviously monitor that. Uh, and to your point, Jake, Stephen Wilson, just absolutely awful to see him. Certainly, we're grateful that he's okay. I mean, a broken vertebrae, I guess it's hard for me to sit here and say that he's doing okay on this uh, Tuesday morning. But I know how much the 500 means to oh, him. Yeah. And by all accounts, you know, it seemed like this was not necessarily something his fault. I think it's worth pointing out. I mean, yesterday, I mean, Jake, that was a pretty racy day for a couple hours. And if you're Catherine Legg, that's really the first time she's been in that type of practice atmosphere at the 500 in, what, nearly a decade? Yeah. And, you know, clearly um, the incident there into turn one, uh, first multi-car incident since 2000 in practice. So um, it's been pretty rare to see that. so, yeah, that happened with about 45 minutes left to go in practice. No track activity the next three days. Um, carb day coming up on Friday. I would assume, Jake, if they go to Hildebrand, he would get like an additional practice time by himself. Maybe yeah, not I for mean, Ray Hall. What's interesting is you've got to go through some protocol of, of the refresher course, one would assume. You know, Kevin, I'll tell you one interesting little tidbit that I've mentioned before on the radio, but I think it's fascinating. And yes, we're going to talk about LeBron. Obviously, we have a host of guests lined up for this morning. There's a number of things to talk about. Um, today is the, the American Dairy Association fastest rookie luncheon. It takes place almost immediately following this show where the rookie class all goes. And uh, Benjamin Peterson will be honored as the fastest rookie. Before They always have a dairy cow there, Kevin. And a couple of years ago, one of the rookies was like, I want to milk the cow. Right? I want to milk the cow. There's a dairy cow there. Can I get down there and milk it? And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, great great PR for the Dairy Association. Sounds like something Stingray would do. So, well, he will, and I'll tell you why. So this rookie gets down there and milks the cow. And everybody's like, huh, kind of funny. That was Alexander Rossi. Wins the race as a rookie. <laughs> Every rookie since then has milked the cow. I'm a little surprised by that. Rossi doesn't strike me as a milker of the cow. Yeah, he... He was the cow milker. Who doesn't um, drink Little Kings, but milks the cow. That's right. But at any rate, the only driver in the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to race in the race without going through either rookie orientation or the veteran refresher course is, in fact, Maury Rose, multiple winner. And that is only because there was a driver named Howdy Wilcox II, not related to the winner, Howdy Wilcox, but had the same name, thus he was known as Howdy Wilcox II. Howdy Wilcox II was the Dan Weldon, James Hinchcliffe of his era. All the drivers loved him, great personality, buddies with everybody. Race morning, they come up to Howdy Wilcox II and they go, hey, we just realized you failed your, your visual exam, so you can't run in the race. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm diabetic, and when you gave me that exam, my blood sugar was low, but I'm good now. I can run the race. And they said, no, you can't run the race. The other drivers on race morning revolted and were so angry because they liked Howdy Wilcox so much that they said, that's it. If Howdy Wilcox can't run the race, then we're not, you're not going to have a race this morning. So the... That seems aggressive. Totally. 
the compromise some contacts the the compromise was okay fine if maury rose or if um if howdy wilcox can't run the race then he gets to pick his success he gets to pick the guy to to sit in for him so howdy wilcox kind of out of spite says fine how about this guy right here this maury rose he's a rookie let's put him in the car so they said well okay fair is fair maury rose had not gone through rookie orientation had not gone through the practice laps they put him in the car Starts 42nd, finishes 35th in 1933, and goes on to become a three-time winner. <laughs> there you go. I'm picturing like him, oh, my neighbor's, you know, and Stan Jay, you think he can come out? And I've seen him get his, you know. That's right. Whatever, struck up to 50 miles per hour around the neighborhood. So we'll continue to monitor that throughout the morning. Uh, Ed Carpenter, 8.30, Kurt Cavan, 9 o'clock, Renus VK, starting the middle of row one, coming up at 9.30. We'll give away some numbers. Probably an activity we should start doing today. Oh, Obviously, yeah. we got 33 of them to give away, so we'll do at, do that um, here on this Tuesday morning. But as Jake mentioned, uh, the L.A. Lakers, their season comes to a close last night. LeBron James was pretty vintage uh, throughout the first half, uh, but Denver had a huge, huge third quarter. And the terrific defense by Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray on the final play of the game as LeBron tried to send the game in overtime. Denver wins the series in a sweep. They make their first ever NBA Finals. I guess I didn't realize till last night, Jake, uh, they had the most playoff wins in NBA history without a Finals appearance. That's believable, yeah. I, I mean, that would make sense. And that was their first sweep in 44 playoff series. The Pretty good time for it. I will give fair warning right now at 7.13 in the morning on this Tuesday. When it comes to the discussion about LeBron James, which when it comes to sports talk radio is probably one of the most tired discussions on the history of mankind. But because LeBron James started to hint last night about something that I don't recall he's ever hinted about before, I don't know why he is so polarizing. Actually, I do know why. He is polarizing because people don't like the best. Unless they play for you, people don't like the best. They just don't. People don't like Tom Brady because he was the best quarterback for a long time. People don't like... The Atlanta Braves, because they were the best National League team for like a decade and a half. People don't like the New York Yankees because they have the most world titles, etc. People don't like LeBron because he is the most versatilely skilled basketball player of all time. And, you know, you could make the argument, is he the greatest player ever? I, whatever. But it, it, it cracks me up. I've got a really good buddy who I love to death. Text me this morning. He's like, LeBron's got to hang it up. I mean, he, he wants to be upper tier, and he's just not. He just dropped 40, 10, and 9 in a conference final game at the age of 38. 40 point, 40, 40, 10, and 9. Like, Jalen Rose had 40 in a playoff game for the Pacers, and they still, like, send out tweets talking about the anniversary of it. LeBron, or, or Reggie Miller had how many 40-point playoff games in his career, and he's regarded as one of the greatest playoff performers in the history of mankind. LeBron drops 40, and it's like, eh, it's probably time for him to retire. Unbelievable. The guy's an unbelievable talent. And say what you want about him being a diva or flopping or talking to officials, whatever. That's fine. Cool. At the age of 38, I get the fact that Father Time's undefeated. I I will say this and I will stand atop Mount Kilimanjaro screaming this from the mountaintops. LeBron James is the most dedicated athlete to his physical fitness and his conditioning of any athlete in a major sport all time, period. So yeah, he's 38 and father time's undefeated, but he's 38 going on like 30 because 
He spends literally seven figures a year to do nothing but prepare and, and and I'm talking about his diet, his workouts, everything. He is in remarkable shape. Now, Father Time's undefeated. I get it. And that is, you know, when eventually that, that cliff, it's it's going to go over for sure. But 40, 10, and 9 in a conference final game. And it's like, yeah, he's, he's done. I mean, come it, on. It's that part to me, Jake, that I'm curious about. And none of us would know. But LeBron puts himself through quite the process to and the, be ready for seasons. And that's got to be taxing? Is that yeah. taxing? Yeah. And, and I, I think he will continue to play. I, I understand this is probably some raw emotion of getting swept in the conference finals. It, it's probably a very weird season in how LeBron looks back on this. I mean, for 95% of the season, the question was, are the Lakers going to make the playoffs? And then they end up making the conference finals, which, I, yeah, they get swept. But it's like, I mean, do they look at it as just an outright, like, Oh, it's a total failure. Is it a like? Do the Lakers look at it and say, "Oh, it's a step forward with LeBron and Anthony Davis and like a young, unproven core"? It's just weird for me. It has a different feeling than most LeBron seasons to me. Um, it was the Lakers, but they were a seven seed going right. up against the one seed. So it is weird because you're not used to seeing the Lakers at a seven seed. And like a lot of people thought that they would lose the Warriors. Swept. Yeah, um, you know, I think some people thought they would lose to Memphis. So it's just kind of an odd feeling to it. Again, I don't think he will retire, but to your point, Jake, he definitely sounded differently than he usually does. But here's the thing. Everybody's going to talk about how LeBron fell short. What about Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis is number one overall player picked in the draft 10 years after LeBron was and is a max contract, max salary guy. And LeBron's dropping 40, 10, and 9. Uh, shouldn't this be Anthony? As I said at the beginning of the play, like at some point they've got to transition to where this is Anthony Davis's team. Yeah, I think we're just kind of there with Anthony Davis. We're just like, really nice player, but not the lead guy to take right. you, you know, to the mountaintop. Right. And that's my point is like, why doesn't he get LeBron James? I mean, LeBron James took literally, I'm not kidding you, okay? We've got Nathaniel, who just graduated from UND. Nathaniel, right? I want to make sure it's not Nathan. I knew that it was extra syllables. I didn't want to screw it up. Nathaniel, who just graduated from UND, is in here helping out with Mark. Mark Dykton and the two the two of us, right? So we could go down right now. That's that's four of us, if my math is correct. We could go down to the fourth floor and pick up Tony Katz while we're here, okay? Tony's a good shooter. As Okay, so he comes off the bench as our shooter. And add LeBron. And, and we are already better than the supporting cast he took with the Cleveland Cavaliers when he went to the finals. The, and, and people then were like, well, I mean, they got to the finals and choked. He took Booby Gibson to the finals. And yet Anthony Davis has... Mr. Algoskis. Has LeBron dropping 40 and 10, and he can't get to the final. I mean, why, why do we hold such a different standard for one guy versus the other? Just because of the hype? Yeah. And deserve it hype, and a guy that has eclipsed what that hype was when he came out in 2003. Um, I think the other thing that probably stands out to me about LeBron at this point in his career, I mean, absolutely incredible last night, without question. I mean, watching that first half, it was Game 6 against Boston vibes from LeBron in a Cavs uniform. But that is not an every-night thing anymore, and it's not even an every-night thing for him to, unquestionably, he's the best player on the floor every night. So he needs more. He, he clearly needs more. He needs more for Anthony Davis. The Lakers have got to go out and get him more. Um, look at how Denver reacted to that series. So many people, I think, would vote for Jamal Murray for Western Conference final MVP, if that's such a thing. But Nikola Jokic, 
as you know, triple double pretty much every single game. So he's going to take that home. Uh, you you got to have more if you're going to survive three series because LeBron it, he just he can't do last night every single night. He still can get to that level, but it's not an every night thing, and his body is just not where it was. I'm not saying like he's a shell of himself by any means. He's still an unbelievable talent, but he just needs more around him if the Lakers are going to make another run. So we'll we'll play some of that audio from LeBron here a little bit later. Again, the Nuggets sweep the Lakers last night. The Miami Heat will try to do the same tonight. They are just a one and a half point favorite against the Boston Celtics. So if the Heat sweep the Celtics tonight, we will not have an NBA playoff game until a week from Thursday. Can you believe that? Just chilling out? And I guess I get why the NBA does it. Like, you want to slot in TV times for the finals, and you have to give a little bit of prep time, I would assume, to it. So they're expecting one or two of these series to go like six or seven games, and now it's looking like both of them could be done as Miami goes for the sweep on their home floor. So here's my... Excuse me. Here's my Denver Nuggets nostalgic point. We're sitting there last night watching Denver and the Lakers. And Shannon's like, wait a minute, are the Nuggets about to go to the finals? And I'm like, yeah, if they win this game, they go to the finals. She disappears, comes back, and has some plastic framed, no glass over it poster from the basement of the 1977 Denver Nuggets. And she's like, check this out. Like what? And she's like, my dad worked for the Nuggets, and this was the first team that I can ever remember. And I'm like, so I'm looking at this photo, the 1977 Denver Nuggets. And I say this because people are listening right now, and they're like, Jake, we're doing a radio show in Indianapolis, Indiana. Why in the hell would I care about the Denver Nuggets of nineteen, you know, of the mid-'70s, right? The, the team itself, the roster, Darnell Hillman, Bobby Wilkerson, by the way, the former Indiana star, David Thompson, and then the coaching staff, Larry Brown, George Irvin, Donnie Walsh. That was basically the first Nuggets teams, because the Nuggets, like the Pacers, were were one of four to come into the NBA. That first team that the Nuggets had for the ABA into the NBA was, and they they finished first in the Midwest, that team was the blueprint precursor for your Indiana Pacers. Because George Irvin eventually came here as the head coach, brought with him Donnie Walsh as an assistant coach, brought with then ultimately brought with them Larry Brown as a head coach, and you're off and running. I guess Nikola Jokic is this, and potentially Alex English would be it, but did the greatest Nuggets player officially retire yesterday? The greatest Nuggets tire player, well, actually the greatest Nuggets player is probably David Thompson. but Better than Alex English? Boy, that's a good call there. Um, Alex English, also a pacer, by the way. Um, Alex English, a pacer that the Nuggets acquired from the Pacers for George McGinnis. Um, Carmelo? Right, that's what, that's what I was getting I at. I mean, Carmelo, the funny thing is, is that they gave, the, the funny thing is that they gave Nikola Jokic Carmelo's jersey number when he came in. <laughs> so now it's like, wait a minute. When we've got to put 15 in the rafters, did they do a split jersey deal? Well, I think that was still the awkward, like, Carmelo's still in the league. So it's like, do you retire yeah, his number yeah. now? Yeah, all of that. Good point. Yeah, the thing about Melo, I was thinking about you yesterday. By the way, Jim Price of Tech High School, also on that Nuggets team. I'm telling you. 
It was like basically Indiana West. Go ahead. I, I just assumed that Melo was already retired. I was kind of like, oh, we need an official announcement for this. If Carmelo enters the NBA like 10 years later, there's no way he is the player that he was. Like when you think about Carmelo Anthony, what made him so great as a scorer, it was that face-up game and like hitting 18-foot jumpers, which now is like, ah, don't take that shot. That's the worst shot you could take in basketball. But that's what how Melo made his living. Yeah. And I feel like if he was a 2013 NBA draftee, not a 2003 NBA draftee, he would have been forced to be a three-point shooter and probably wouldn't have been as successful as a player as he was. Uh, obviously, a hell of a career. A great international player. I mean, you talk about the international three-point line and how beneficial it was to him. He was tremendous You know what for Team USA. And he's another guy that falls into the category, Jake, of if they were born in a different time. Right. You, you actually raise an interesting question. Who's the greatest nugget of all time? I mean, Dan Issel's in the mix. Dan Issel, David Thompson, and Alex English, and Carmelo. I mean, any of those four. Well, Jokic, too. Well, that's it's what I was going to say. Is all time, like In terms of those that are done, any of those four you could make a compelling argument for, and all of them now are probably sitting on the sidelines watching Jokic, right? The one-footed heave over his head last night, I think he made two of them. I can't tell if that's more Dirk Nowitzki or it's more Larry Bird. It's and honestly, it looks like something, Jake, that Terhune guys shot back in the Hoosiers. I'm like, what? What is he doing right now? Wait, that went in. He looks like Jokic. Looks like you know what he honestly. Nikola Jokic looks like I'm watching the Goonies, and then all of a sudden, here comes Sloth. Yeah, and, he's, then, and, and then you see his brothers, and he's, you're like, hell yeah. He's lifting rocks up with his shoulder blades while everybody's like running through, and he's like getting two guys swinging from a rope into the water while playing hero and yelling about baby Ruths, and like, and you're like, well, that guy's really effective. There's not a single athlete. Doesn't he look like he like goes home and eats like a a TV dinner? Oh no, I mean pizza, pizza and beer. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, pizza and beer. Him and Luca just cracking a beer. One thousand percent pizza. One thousand percent. So the Nuggets sweep the Lakers, and again we'll play out LeBron audio coming up here in a little bit. Ed Carpenter at eight thirty, Kurt Cavan at nine, Renus VK at nine thirty. A popular question when you have the Ed Carpenter, either him on or certainly his team on, is uh, great qualifying. But what about in the race? Uh, that's been an issue for them here in recent years. So we'll chat with him about that. And it is a beautiful Tuesday here in Indianapolis. We'll give away some driver numbers coming up throughout the show as well. Uh, you're listening right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Kevin Aquari on a Tuesday. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. All right, the Denver Nuggets, they have clinched a spot in the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. It was a huge third quarter for Denver, and they really spoil a very vintage night from LeBron James. It was yet another triple-double from Nikola Jokic, 30-14-13. That is his eighth triple-double of the playoffs. That breaks Wilt Chamberlain's NBA record for a single postseason. Uh, Jake, that storyline, obviously we talked about a whole lot between now and next Thursday when the Nuggets get back on the floor for the NBA Finals. But the big news out of last night was the Lakers season obviously coming to a close. And LeBron James certainly not saying that without question he will be back next season playing. 
40 it's points. It's a successful okay. year because I don't play for anything besides winning championships at this point in my career. And, um, you know, I don't... I don't get a kick out of making a conference appearance. I've done it a lot. And, <laughs> and it's not fun to me to not be able to be able to be a part of, uh, you know, getting to the finals. But, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I had a lot to think about, to be honest, and um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, got a lot to think about. <clears throat> I got excited over his forty and ten. There, I jumped in early. The reality is that you know we see players a lot of times that start having that discussion because they can't play at a super high level anymore, and that's frustrating to them. In LeBron James's case, I think that he's frustrated over the fact, and people can talk, talk all they want about, you know, he's the one that built the roster. You know, fine, sure, whatever. Uh, he, he, I think he's frustrated by the fact he just dropped 40, 10, and 9, and his team was swept. And, you know, to me, I don't know, but to me that, that sounds like a guy that is sending out the SOS to his franchise. Look, I need, I need some help here. Anthony Davis, to me, is the one that underperformed. I think he's a great player. But at some point, you've got to – LeBron James, I think, is perfectly content. You know, somebody said to me, they're like, well, he's going to have to retire because now in, if he, to win a championship, he's going to have to be a, a Robin instead of a Batman. I think he's totally fine with that. But he's saying, like, look, if that's the case, then, then Batman's got to step up, right? Uh, we'll see tonight if the Miami Heat will also uh, find a sweep. They're trying to do it at home, a slight favorite over Boston here in Game 4. That'll be an 8.30 tip tonight. What, what, what are we doing here, Mark? He froze up. Froze Do you take Tuesdays bit. off? I, 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 I should. Are you working I should. Six day work I'm weeks? probably vacation. Four day work weeks, I should say. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati Reds over the Cardinals yesterday, six five. Walk off, sack fly, walk off. That snaps a four game skid for the Red Legs. Arizona over the Phillies, six three. It was Dodgers over the Braves yesterday, eight six. Rockies over the Marlins, five three. What the hell? I'll give you every score. Guardians over the White Sox, three nothing. Tampa over the Blue Jays, six four. Detroit over the Royals, eight five. Angels over the Red Sox, two one. Mariners <laughs> over the Not So Athletics. That's their new name. Did you know that they've changed it? The, the uh, Oakland Not So Athletics makes sense. F- fits well in Vegas. Eleven two for the Mariners. Uh, Pirates over the Rangers six four. Astros over the Brewers twelve two. Giants defeated the Minnesota Twins by a score of four to one. I think the amount of people that were at the Indians games this weekend like beat all of the A's attendance all season long. Well, I think it's their Triple A team is outdrawn them. Yeah, pretty religiously. I think every level of their affiliates has outdrawn them. Uh, Yesterday over at IMS, obviously the big news: Catherine Leg getting in the back of Stephen Wilson. Stephen Wilson suffering a broken vertebrae. Unfortunately, he is not going to be racing coming up on Sunday for the 107th Indianapolis 500. No practice time until Friday. That will be Carb Day. Um, Jake, you said to continue to watch the name of Graham Rahal as possibly stepping into that car of Stephen Wilson. I thought. I'll elaborate on this in a little bit when we get more into it. I thought there was no way due to contractual issues that Graham Rahal would be in the car for Stephen Wilson. Uh, I, I think it is possible. And is J.R. Hildebrand a name that is out there or no? Absolutely. Do you think one of those two? Uh, I would think that one of those two, 
I would think that Matt Brabham is a possibility, a very distant possibility, but he would have interest. I can uh, I can um, absolutely say that Matthew Brabham would have interest. J.R. Hildebrand would have interest. And I think that Graham Rahal would have interest, but Graham Rahal is a Honda driver, and that is a Chevrolet engine. And that becomes tricky. It was a pretty entertaining two-hour practice session. Obviously, the incident certainly kind of marred some other things, but a lot, a lot of you know traffic activity out there. Will Power was the fastest from yesterday. Again, play or I should say, drivers will. Do they still do kind of the big media circuit, Jake? Today, like or you know, I I don't think they do. We'll have to ask Ed. I, I'm not certain that they still do the whole like sending everybody to different cities, different markets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ed Carpenter is going to join us coming up at eight thirty. Renus VK at nine thirty. Kurt Cavan at nine. So we'll talk a little bit more on that front and give away some numbers as well. Uh, anything else? I think that's good. I think we're good. I'm uh, excited. Florida to get Panthers beat the Carolina Hurricanes. That was they a, are game away. Correct. Yeah. Florida Panthers that's, just a, just a game away. That's yeah, the third game win. away. Another sweep, sweep in the uh, conference finals. We're yeah, looking at for how entertaining the NHL and the NBA was up to this point. Kind of some duds here from a finals mm-hmm. standpoint in you know, both of those leagues. I didn't realize that Brendan King that the Florida Panthers were his favorite team this week. He is a well, <laughs> this week. You're saying he's a bandwagoner? He is a diehard know. Florida Panthers uh, fan. Okay. Um we come back some good news yesterday on the Colts quarterback front if you're a member of that room we'll explain more on that. Again, it is a beautiful Tuesday here in Indianapolis. Kevin Aquari right here on 935 1075 the fan. Uh Kevin, you have watched El- whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Election coverage when there's major elections on television, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they will say, I have now seen enough and I am prepared to announce that X candidate will win X race, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. These things are always subject to change. I-, I want to give myself that protection in case something happens in the, when I say 11th hour, I mean like 23rd and a half hour. Do you want me to play the breaking news sounder real quick? No, because I don't want it to go that severe, okay. but all signs are now, to me, pointing towards and indicating that it appears in two hours and 16 minutes, Graham Rahal will be announced as a driver in the 107th Indianapolis 500, filling in for the injured Stefan Wilson. It appears as though the contractual hurdles and obligations that would have been in place between Graham Rahal being a Honda driver and that car being a Chevrolet have been finagled and worked out with sponsors and whatever else. And um, it does appear as though Graham Rahal is going to be in that car. So but, that means he then starts at the back of the field? Uh, he will start 33rd. Also because they're going to change the engine. Uh, James Hinchcliffe going to join us in 15 minutes. That's one of the things we can talk about. Uh, James James Hinchcliffe, Ed Carpenter, Kurt Cavan, Renus VK. So loaded coming up here in the back couple of hours uh, here on Kevin and Query. Mention this uh, before the break. If you are a member of the Sam Ellinger family, you got to be pretty excited about yesterday's news. NFL owners meetings um, 
for the spring session up in Minneapolis yesterday, and they passed basically a resolution that I think kind of stemmed from the San Francisco 49ers game. Remember the 49ers NFC Championship when Brock Purdy gets hurt, Josh Johnson gets hurt, all of a sudden they are scrambling for a quarterback. Um, Now teams are able to dress a third quarterback for a game and that not impacts the usual 46-man roster on game days. Um, So if you look at the Colts roster right now, Gardner Minshew, Anthony Richardson, Sam Ellinger, assuming they don't do anything too substantial with the quarterback position here over the next couple of months roster-wise, expect those three QBs to be dressing, I would assume every single game for the Colts this season. Do you, um, again, I've asked you this before, I know. You think Minshew, like during the whole process in signing with the Colts was totally realistic from the get-go? It's just what it was all about? Oh, yeah. Without question, yeah. He's not an idiot. He knows a revolving door here, and I'd assume Shane Steichen was pretty upfront about him. Contractually, it, it clearly... The Colts said to him, hey, man, you might be needed to start a lot. You might not be, so we'll throw those incentives into your contract as needed on the one-year deal. But I think it's a smart move by the NFL. You know, that was just abysmal watching San Francisco try and operate an offense in that NFC title game. I do find it a bit like I'm surprised this has never happened before. And I get that when the 49ers are having that happen on the NFC title stage, it's very magnified. But all it took was two injuries. Like, how are there not more games in the NFL where you have two quarterbacks get hurt and all of a sudden a team is throwing out their wildcat wide receiver to play quarterback? The wildcat, do they still? Do we still see that? Well, uh, Colts were probably almost in desperate times to implement that, but are you good <laughs> I, with this, Jake? The wildcat? Uh, no, on the... On the Real change yesterday? Um, you know, Kevin, I'm one of those that, I'll, I'll be honest with you, and, and this isn't meant as a cop-out answer. There's a lot of them that, like, I've got to see. Like, I'm always under the expectation or the thought process a lot of times going in that, like, if they did, hadn't even told us, like, would you even notice major changes? Does that make sense? Like, I don't get overly worked up about that stuff. And I don't mean that as a cop-out. It sounds like a cop-out, I realize. Yeah, maybe if we were in the 49ers market, we'd be noticing it a whole lot more just with how their NFC... T- I mean, they literally could not do anything in their NFC Championship game because of this. And now, you know, you at least have a a, a chance, a, a puncher's chance, particularly if, you know, all of a sudden you build a lead and your quarterbacks get hurt. And then all of a sudden, it's the fourth quarter, and you're trying to hold on to a lead. And instead of having to throw, you know, Christian McCaffrey in there, um, you're throwing a third quarterback in there. So, uh, great news on the Sam Ellinger front. Uh, what do you make of the Thursday night football decision? Um, boo. Why do you say boo? That's my cat's name. But why do you say boo, Mark? I haven't seen him. Yeah, I haven't seen him yet. Uh, I think it's dopey. I know you're going to give him like what 28 days heads up that uh-huh. you're in flex, but I still think. Playing on a short week is dopey. Playing on multiple short weeks is dopey. And even if you give them a 28-day heads up, I mean, are you are you flexing their following week? 
How's yeah, that working? I mean, that's that's the challenge, right? Is the the schedule aspect of it? Yeah, I don't think you can flex the following week based off how late in the season, or like throw a bye week, you know, in there based off yeah. this is either week thirteen through seventeen, so it's very late in the season. Um, what, where I feel, basically, the NFL said yesterday, and this was not a unanimous decision by the owners at all. I think it was twenty four to eight, so that's right on the threshold of this not passing. I think you need seventy five percent to pass. Um, again, the NFL is going to allow Thursday night games to be flexed late in the season. This is weeks 13 to 17. What I think the message is, Mark, is more of a, and I guess I get it, but we care more about our TV audience and the future of streaming than we care about the in-market fans. Well, that's, yeah, that's obvious. Because let's say you are the, whatever, you're the Colts, and you have a week 15 Thursday night game, and the schedule came out, what, two weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That slotted the Colts into Thursday night football? Well, what happens to you that just bought those tickets yeah. or just planned a long weekend around that. Now you have to scramble and 28 days. I mean, sure it's nearly a month, but that's not enough time around holiday season to all of a sudden just like reformulate what your planning looks like. Or so maybe you're doing a, a Christmas, you know, gift surprise is, Hey, we're going to go see a team on the road. And now you've got to change accommodations and mm-hmm. all that too. Very difficult. Yeah. That that time of year. But again, the NFL is saying we need to appease Amazon. Last year's slate was absolutely awful. Yeah, I mean, I think on, that's the big on thing. Thursday night football and the future of the sport um, at some point will be more in a full streaming based. And that's what this message is. Now, again, there are parameters behind it. Uh, it's only for weeks 13 through 17. You cannot play on Thursday night football uh, more than twice a year, and you cannot play on the road both of those times. So I think the likelihood that we see this even happen is not a slam dunk, but obviously the NFL is sending a message with this. Giants, Jets, Packers, Bears, Raiders, Lions, Bengals, Steelers all voted against it. Were you surprised by the amount of big markets that voted against it? No. I'm surprised more people didn't vote against it. So that means the Colts Colts did vote yeah, for Colts it. Yeah, Colts voted for it. Um, I would have thought that the big markets would be a little bit more, hey, let's get even more eyes onto us. Would you say Giants, Jets, and Bears, right? Giants, Jets, Packers, Bears, Raiders, Bengals, Lions, Steelers. Yeah. And that's that's three of the eight I would classify as very big markets there. So uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, The draft heading to Green Bay in 2025. Again, I I don't know why anyone would ever want to attend the draft. It looks like an awful viewing experience. How on earth are they going to accommodate 600,000 people there? Yeah, it's a great. They're gonna have to hire Jake. I've always, I've never been to Lambo, but I've always heard that there's like just no hotels, there's no restaurants. So they're gonna have an event like that at Lambo. Where's everyone staying? Yeah, the Colts had to stay in Appleton no, when uh, they played I'm conf- at, at, at Lambo. I'm confused by this. Hmm? I know that Nashville is a super. I mean, there's no really comparison between Nashville and Green Bay. I get it, but should the NBA? Or excuse me, should the NFL be concerned? That they are putting on an event that in five years has already lost sixty-seven percent of its audience. <laughs> the half billion that were there, they, they went Nashville? from six hundred and fifty thousand to now they're expecting two hundred and fifty thousand in Green Bay. Is that what they said yesterday? Yeah, 
They announced yesterday that they anticipate 250,000 people at the NFL draft. Why would they do that if they can get 650,000 in Nashville and 500,000 in Kansas City? This is a remarkable backslide. I, at the rate they're going, in three years, they're going to have negative 10,000 people at the draft. What is What the hell is going on? I know it, the draft is going to come here at some point, and we're going to be, you know, hey, here's t- ticket giveaway. I think it's a awful viewing experience. Why would you ever want to stand outside totally. and hear names announced and I on think, big screen TV? Kevin, it's got like a Times Square feel to it, and that just sounds miserable. And I do think that, quite frankly, I think that that's... And I get it. I mean, listen, the NFL is an 800-pound gorilla. I, I get all of it. I mean, I'm, cynicism aside, I do think, Kevin, that what they're facing now is that now that we've had a couple of years of this, I think people are kind of figuring that out. Hey, like, my buddy my buddy in Kansas City told me, he's like, man, I had like five buddies from work that went, and after like an hour, they're like, this is the worst thing ever, and they left. <laughs> and Green Bay is nuts, so I'm sure they're going to draw a nice audience there. And, and good for Green Bay. It's not like Lambeau's going to host a Super Bowl anytime soon, but I just... It just sounds miserable to me. And I'm all for Indy hosting as many events as possible. I think it's incredible that our city is able to do that on an annual basis. There are a variety of events, all of that. Draft sounds awful. Hey, Earl, look who just pulled up at the Appleton Culver's. What the hell is Brett Favre doing here? <laughs> Appleton, Wisconsin. That's where, uh, at least I, I assume all NFL teams, but that's where the Colts stayed a few years ago. There are uh, not enough, or I don't think there was a big enough hotel in Green Bay to house an NFL team. Which is kind of wild. You could eat it. Is Favre's Steakhouse still there? Uh, I don't know what's on the menu there with how Brett has uh, handled things here it's, recently. You get uh, Actually, it's nice. You get um, shrimp mashed potatoes with a side of embezzlement. It's good. Oh. Right? Uh, James Hinchcliffe next? That is correct. Ed Carpenter, 830, Renus VK at 930. You'll listen to Kevin Quare here on a beautiful Tuesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis on a sun-splashed and perfectly gorgeous Tuesday morning. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. Joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline, a guy who is a starter of nine Indianapolis 500-mile races. He actually started at the pole position in the 100th running of the greatest spectacle in racing, and now, of course, a popular commentator and analyst for NBC. James Hinchcliffe joins us. Hinch, I'll ask you this right out of the box. In the last... I, I started, obviously, hearing this late last night before I went to bed. In the last 20 minutes or so, I would say smoke has turned to fire that, in fact, Graham Rahal at 10 o'clock will be announced as Steph Wilson's replacement. Um, have not heard that from Graham Rahal nor the team directly, but it appears as though things are pointing in that direction. Your thoughts? Uh, I mean, a crazy situation. I mean, first of all, you know, our thoughts are with Steph and uh, and for a speedy recovery. Such a, such a brutal situation to be in. Uh, I've been there. I get it. Um, but look, in a lot of ways, it makes a lot of sense. In a lot of ways, I think it's it's a kind of shocking move. You know, when you look at the fact that for someone to jump in the race now, they would need to do ROP. Where do we fit that in? It's got the time. Obviously, for him and his team and his sponsors will be motivated to find a, a way into the race if there's an option out there. So I totally get why those conversations happen. I think everyone's probably a little surprised about the Honda-Chevy relationship conflict there. 
But hey, if if that can happen, then uh, it would be great to still have a Ray Hall in the race. Um, so you know, we'll see. James, could you cut? Kind of, I don't know how often you have ever like, oh, I'm gonna hop in a. a another car. I mean, sometimes I think you hop into another teammate's car potentially and try to figure something out that maybe you're feeling in your car and your teammate isn't necessarily feeling in his or her car. Like how foreign would that be for Graham Rahal to go with the car that he's been with, you know, all year long for X amount of years to go into a different engine, a different team, a one-off uh here during the middle of the week and like you said with very little practice time between now and Sunday. Yeah, I mean, getting two hours to figure it out, really, that that's all that we get on carb day. So it's it's a big ask. There's no doubt about it. I mean, every team has their own setup philosophy. And um, sometimes, you know, look, there's only so so many ways to go faster on the speedway. So there's a there's a outside chance that the setup philosophy at dry run bold racing isn't massively different to what they've got at RLL. Uh, certainly getting to know the team, the players there. Uh, procedurally, some of the stuff with Chevrolet versus Honda will be a lot different. Uh, but look, Graham's a professional, and at the end of the day, it's a race car. You just got to get in and, and figure out how to make it go fast. And I would assume, James, that you know having Ryan Hunter Ray there probably helps as well, right? Because you've got somebody at least that has the same level of experience of Graham that could be able to say like, "Hey, so here's here's what these guys like, or here's how they have it set up." I mean that that would have to be beneficial, would it not? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, it's a, it's a very different situation than if it had been, you know, a rookie in the other car, certainly. And, uh, you know, Graham and, and Ryan have known each other for a long time. Graham can obviously have complete trust in, in what Ryan is doing there and, uh, and the feedback that he's giving. So in, in a lot of ways, you know, that's, that's going to make a difficult situation a little bit easier for Graham, for sure. You know, I did, and we will move on to talking about the race itself, James, I promise. But I, I did, when this came about and agree totally with your first point hench because i think for those that don't know and i think most people that follow racing know this there are a few people that are more deserving to be in this race than stefan wilson i mean that that entry that speed that he found that sponsor that relationship is 1000 percent based and rooted upon Stephen Wilson's integrity, Stephen Wilson's tenacity, Stephen Wilson's motivation, and everything about him. And he's one of those guys that you meet him and instantly you go, that guy's like the nicest human on the planet, aside from maybe his brother who was equally as nice, right? So it is gut-wrenching that he is not in the race, and I want to make that abundantly clear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, that, that deal was two years in the making. You know, he, he was trying to put together a program for last year, the, the right pieces didn't fall in place. He kept at it. Tom Cusick and, and him and Anders Crohn's involved in that program. They, they got this package together and, uh, and got in a great car with a great team and put it in the show on the first day. And when I text Steph yesterday, it's funny, I didn't open with, hey, hope you're feeling okay. Like, hope it doesn't hurt too much. It was, hey, man, I'm so gutted you're not in the race. I know how hard you work to get there and how much you deserve to be there. And then eventually got to hope you're not in too much pain. The doctors will take care of you or whatever. Cause the pain will heal from the injuries, but you know, the, the pain of missing the race uh, under circumstances like this, that's going to be, that's going to be harder. So James, if, and again, I, I, I do believe that Graham Rahal is going to be in that car. I, I don't I don't know that 100%, but but all signs seem to point to the fact that Graham Rahal is going to be in the race now. Now, if you had to guess, would you say that would be because, as somebody who's kind of been in the business side of things, 
because there has been some sort of a negotiation to that Honda would allow Graham to race a Chevrolet, or would the team itself pull that entry and then allow the 15 Honda Chevrolet of Rahal Letterman Lanigan racing in as an alternate? You know what? That's a really difficult. That's a really difficult situation to assess because. You know, normally you would say the the wheeling and dealing goes on behind the scenes to just get Graham in the car for the sake of him and his partners. I'm sure there were already conversations happening up and down pit lane about how they could get some of their partners onto entries that were in the show. What's unique about this situation is Ryan Hunter Hunter Race Car has been running sponsor-free so far throughout the month. Now, I don't know if there were plans to have a sponsor or once once they made the race if there was an announcement coming. But you have the opportunity very uniquely at this team of moving all of Steph's partners over to the 23 and then essentially allowing the 24 to be, you know, whatever, whatever it wants, United, United Rentals or, you know, whatever. So it's a bit of a unique situation. I'm not sure which way it's gone in this case, but uh, I believe that the team's still going to want to enter their car and it's not going to be the 20. Four pulling out to let the 15 in. I think it's genuinely going to be Graham getting into the 24. It's James Hinchcliffe does an outstanding job on the NBC broadcast alongside Lee Diffie and Townsend Bell. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. James, if you look at the last, really, six or seven Indy 500s, the winner has come primarily from the first two rows, a little bit into row three, but mainly from the first two rows. So, if I ask the question, how far is too far back for guys starting on Sunday. Do you stop at row three? Do you stop at row two? I mean, you go back to row 11. It's, uh, it's the 500. You just don't know. Um, Even though we haven't seen that trend lately? For sure. I mean, whoever's got the, uh, whoever's got themselves in the first two rows definitely puts themselves in a better, better position. But, you know, you look back to 2016, Rossi wins from 11th. Well, he didn't drive his way up from 11th it was an alternate strategy right so all you need is one car to be running by lap 150 somewhere in the top 12 ish and a strategy call to be made that can put them in that position so it really is it really is open yes passing is tough we've seen that uh so definitely starting up there it's an advantage your odds are way better but you can't count anybody out James, you have started. James Hinchcliffe is our guest on the Payless Sickers Hotline. You've started inside, if I'm not mistaken, each of the front three rows at different intervals. You have started in this race. When you are starting in the front three, I know when you're on pole, it's a little bit different because everybody theoretically is behind you. But is there discussion amongst drivers before the race? I get it. Everybody wants to go and it's a race and you're a race car driver, but it's a 500 mile race. Is there ever discussion amongst drivers in the front row or two or three as to how to handle the start and like a gentlemanly agreement of we will go into the short shoot in the order in which we qualified? Or is that the dumbest, most ridiculous, optimistic thinking on my behalf of all time? (laughs) Well, no, it's very intelligent thinking. It's just very far from what actually happens because you're trying to fit racing driver and gentleman in the same sentence. So ultimately, look, I think everybody, uh, So the short answer is uh, surprisingly little of that conversation happens. You know, usually the front row will have a meeting with the race director just to sort of get the race director's expectations on certain things. And then from that point, it's, it's up to the pole sitter to, to dictate the pace and, and the starting point. But 
I think everybody at this level just acknowledges exactly what you said. It's a 500-mile race. You can't win it in the first turn, all those sort of cliches. Uh, everybody knows that. So, yeah, you're going to jockey for position on lap one. There's there's no, hey, let's just hold station until we get back to the flag and then go racing. In a in an era where it is difficult to pass, that is still one of the best chances to make up make up some spots. But it's certainly a lot less desperate if you're in the first three rows. You know, if you're starting back on row nine, you're going to be looking to throw it on the high line and try to pick up four, five, six spots on the start. If you're starting seventh, you're not looking to go from seventh to first in lap one. So I think there's different, there's varying degrees of of uh, of people being, you know, opportunistic and, and taking advantage of situations depending on where you're starting. In four of your last five races, you went the distance, finished 500 miles. So picking any one of those or just on the average of those four over the course of a race over the course james hinscliffe of 200 laps how many different cars are you driving and that's a great question jake and, and it really honestly comes down i think a lot to the weather um you know if you have a day that sort of starts off cool and gets progressively hotter or you have a day that starts really windy and then get super calm for some reason uh the weather is what changes these cars more than anything around this place and so you know i can remember one year we had a car that was a rocket ship until the track temp hit 118 degrees and i could it got to the point where over the course of the race you know we would have cloud cover come and then disappear so the sun was out the sun was covered the track temp was sort of fluctuating a bit and i could literally get on the radio and say hey did we just hit 118 and they say yeah we just hit it two laps ago because you could feel when it clocked over that 118 mark, we just started to lose the car. So that's how specific it can be. And whether you're riding third in line or 13th in line or 23rd in line has a huge effect as well. So let's say you start further back and you slowly make progress up the line, that car is going to change. Every kind of stop, every stint where you're moving the car, uh, it's going to be different. So you could be driving what feels like five different cars over the course of 500 miles. Give me two drivers, James, that when you look at this field, you're going to be curious how they do in the first, let's say, 20 laps or so, because we'll go with two variations here. One of them being somebody that got the absolute most out of their car in qualifying, and thus their starting position might be a little optimistic as to what kind of race car they have. And then another one that maybe underperformed in qualifying setup, but they're going to have a darn good car on race day, but they're going to have more traffic than they anticipated at the start. All right. Well, first first category, I'd probably say Benjamin Peterson. Um, you know, obviously the Foyt team did an incredible job to get both their cars into the top 12. And, you know, Santino, he's been quick here every time he's come. Never finished outside the top 10, uh, but never qualified inside the top 15. So he's kind of in a unique position and, and half his work's already done for him. But Peterson, you've got a rookie. He's up there with a lot of experienced guys, a lot of race winners, a lot of 500 winners. That's the one that's in a bit of a, an unknown territory. And then the other category, I'd probably say Scott McLaughlin. You know, the the Penske cars didn't quite get it done uh, on Saturday. It's kind of a shock to only have one in the top 12 on a, on a year where it looked like Chevy actually had the advantage in qualifying trim this year compared to Honda, who's had it the last few years. Uh, but I've watched that car in traffic. Um, you know, he's, he's getting better and better on the old, especially here. And uh, and I really think that, you know, that team is just so good strategically as well, right? If you have a, a decent race car, a smart driver, and a team that can make calls that slowly builds your track position as the race goes on, I think he could be a threat come the last 20. 
James, do you think you'll ever run another Indy 500? It's very, very possible. How soon? Well, I mean, I could, could be next year. You never know. Could it be it's, this uh, year? It, well, <laughs> there were some interesting phone calls in the last 24 hours. I'll say that. But I think that, uh, you know, I've always said I would I would do the 500 again, but I would only do it in a car that I thought had a genuine shot at winning. You know, I've, I've had conversations over the last couple of years with some teams. And, you know, when I went to bed at night, I thought, I just don't think we can win with that entry necessarily. And, you know, I, I just, I don't need another starter ring to throw on the shelf. I, I want to come back and win this race. And so uh, if I come back, it's going to be with an effort that I really believe can get it done. Calls, calls last night regarding this year's race, you were making them or you were receiving them? Receiving them. And did you, how far did you get in that conversation? Or does, is it a car that you don't think is a situation you'd want to get into? Uh, well, it's, I, I won't get I won't get too far into it. It was just it was some exploratory conversations. People just seeing what was out there, what was available. Let's put it that way. Would you want a full time ride, like a full season, or you would be content with the five hundred? No, I think I think I'm I'm good on the full season program. That's that's kind of what I stepped away from at the end of twenty one. Uh, but this you know this race is obviously special, and so if there was uh, an opportunity to do it next year or in the future, then I would absolutely consider it. Well, you do an outstanding job on NBC, so selfishly, I guess I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> oh boy, as a as a viewer, I don't know if I want that. Um, last one from me, we had Graham Rahal on yesterday, and he mentioned that he talked with you, and he talked with Ryan Hunter-Ray and just some other people, I guess this would have been Sunday night, um, about maybe your experience specifically in, in getting bumped. If you don't mind, what were you sharing with Graham um, about the situation that you went through a handful of years ago? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's Graham's in a unique situation because he's also, uh, you know, his dad's been through it, so he's got someone there to talk to about it. And you know, when I saw him Sunday night, I just said, "Look, man, there's there's no words of wisdom here. It sucks and it hurts and it's going to hurt, but you know, ultimately, every day that goes by is going to hurt a little less. And a year from now, we'll be telling this story when you're, you know, lining up for your pole run in the fast six. So. It's, uh, it's just, it's just a phase, right? It's a terrible, awful, painful one, but you know, Graham's an experienced guy and, uh, he's got, he's got a really good attitude about the whole thing. He had a great sort of perception on it, right from the perspective on it, rather right from the get go. So he didn't, he didn't need any, any coaching or help, but, uh, just someone to say, you know, I know how you feel and and it's going to be okay. Who do you believe James will end up in that 24 car? I don't know. I mean, it, it would have made a lot of sense to put, you know, what are the two guys that ran for them last year in it? And we know that Sage is sitting at home available. We know that Jared Hildebrand's in town. So that would have been my first guess. Um, I thought there was, there was a lot of hurdles about trying to get Graham in the car. Uh, so, so we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. I, I was surprised, quite frankly, James. In conclusion, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, my first thought was, well, Jared Hildebrand is – not only is he a darn good race car driver, but he's been consistent for that team. He's on he's on campus, so to speak. He's taken the physical. That seemed like a no-brainer because of those hurdles. And I was surprised to learn that, in fact, they were getting out the tape measure to find out just how big those hurdles were. I didn't think it'd even go that far. Um, so that's what was intriguing to me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's motorsports, man. Welcome to the Indy 500. It's always got a surprise for you. 
James, I know this is last minute. Great stuff. Uh, looking forward to watching Sunday night. Um, I'll certainly be there, but looking forward to listening to you guys on Sunday night. You guys do tremendous work all season long, so thank you for that, and appreciate the time this morning. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate James it. Hinchcliffe right there. The Payless Sickers Hotline. Good stuff. Interesting stuff. Not only on his thoughts on Graham Rahal and the decision right now to who will fill in for Steph Wilson, but um, boy, Jake, he sounds pretty adamant that he will race the Indy 500 again and was at least somebody that received a phone call last night. Yeah. There were... Kind of forgot about Sage Karam as well. He yeah, has Sage, history with that team, specifically. Sure. Well, and, and you know what's interesting? Along with J.R. Hildebrand. There are two things that come into play to this as well. I don't know how much say Stefan Wilson will have in who fills in for him. In the end, it's a business decision. But Justin Wilson was a teammate of Graham Rahal's and was very close to Graham Rahal. And, you know, I had mentioned yesterday when this happened with Graham getting bounced out of the, the field and people... You know, I just had talked about the polarization of Graham Rahal, and I'd said I've always liked Graham Rahal. One thing I really like about Graham Rahal that I think gets overlooked, and it's to his credit it gets overlooked, Kevin. Graham Rahal has a side to him that is extremely compassionate and caring and thoughtful. And perhaps no one more benefited from the thoughtful, compassionate, and caring side of Graham Rahal than the widow and children of Justin Wilson, which are the nieces of Stephen Wilson. And when Justin Wilson was fatally injured, Graham Rahal was the absolute leader amongst the paddock and amongst drivers of not only raising funds and finances for the education of Justin Wilson's children, but also just in leading the charge of compassion towards Julia, Justin Wilson's widow, and making sure that that obviously with that void that they were going to be as okay as they could be in the immediacy of that situation. Graham Rahal was the spearhead of all of that in many, many ways and has a very close relationship, I think, to the Wilson family. Sage Karam in the ironic twist of all of it as we know sage Karam was the driver whose accident at zero fault of sage Karam's, but it was his accident that led to the fatality of justin wilson and that put a connection between sage Karam and stefan wilson that will forever be there and it was to credit to both of those two drivers that they themselves via almost justin wilson's daughters but Sage and, and Stefan, I think, went through their own process of, of allowing themselves to emotionally be, be linked via that tragedy. It is ironic that Steph Wilson's opportunity that came about this year, which Ryan Reinbold and Cusick Motorsports came when Dreyer and Reinbold moved on from the driver who had previously had that position, which was Sage Karam. That was ironic. There was no intent on that. But Sage Karam is certainly a possibility within the team, but I have been told that that phone call will likely not take place. I I do think at this point, the two most likely drivers into the early hours of this morning were J.R. Hildebrand and Graham Rahal. And I do believe 
in talking to people, I do believe that there appears to be, as I said, enough smoke to now say fire that it appears as though Graham Rahal will be announced at 10 o'clock as the driver of that car. Now, like James Hensclough said, man, it's motorsports. A million things can change. But it looks like it's trending in that direction. Somebody asked me, like, so are you officially reporting this? I- I'm, I'm reporting that multiple people have told me that, but no one that is official enough to say emphatically without question that this is definitively what's taking place, if that makes sense. I would assume finances will be the biggest kind of calling yeah. card in all of this. But Charlie brings up, I think, an interesting point. Because when I saw the crash happen yesterday, Jake, I thought to myself, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steph Wilson, probably the tallest driver in this year's Indianapolis 500? Correct. And so Graham Rahal is right there, too. Right, and that's kind of what Charlie's getting at. But I thought to myself, this is just extra precaution with him. Now, obviously, it ended up being a broken vertebrae, so clearly Steph Wilson was you know, injured big time. Um, would there be anything here? And Charlie asks this. Wilson and Rahal are also within one inch of each other in height, so less moving of pedals and settings in car. Would that come into play at all with this? Uh, um, it certainly would not hurt things. Or is but, it just like a nice bonus? But the way that they – more of that comes just on the seat fitting, and either of those guys are going to have – you know, Hildebrand's actually a taller dude too, but um, either one of those guys, once you do the seat fitting, then I don't know how much like the infrastructure down below is is – Negotiated. When I saw Hildebrand yesterday, I literally thought I was looking at Charlie Whitehurst. Uh, somebody, I guess Pit Lane Jesus is his new nickname. R- really? Yes. I saw several Stop. people. I swear. I saw people saying like, oh, Pit Lane Jesus is going to get the call. <laughs> Pit Lane Jesus. Hildebrand is such a... Here's the thing, man. Oh, he's got to be in the car now. And Clipboard J- Jesus. J.R. Hildebrand. the national anthem. J.R. Hildebrand Jesus. is just a cool dude, man. I mean, he is just a cool, laid-back, smart as can be. Uh, we, we, we've had him on before. Oh, oh my gosh. You talk... Stanford, right? He, he's an adjunct at Stanford. Yeah. Do you think he was a professor for Andrew Luck? I mean, yeah, can you imagine? This past semester? I think he knows Luck. Well, he was um, a Salesforce car, correct? Correct, yeah. And I know Luck's wife has done some stuff with Scott Dorsey, and so, yeah, okay, well, that would all of that would check. Just and, a cool dude. And again, Hildebrand, it's not like crazy Santino Ferrucci type, you know, jumps through the field, but he has a really nice hey. resume here at the 500. So last year, Hildebrand, it was last year or two years ago, I think it was last year, Hildebrand decided he has like a 50, he collects old vintage cars. He has like a 57 Chevy convertible. I'm guesstimating the, you know, but one of those big, long, you know, Elvis looking cars. Uh So he's like, I'm driving this thing from, I'm going to drive to Indy. He lives in Colorado. He's like, I'm going to drive from Colorado to Indy for the 500 in my old car. So he said he's driving along. He got like in the, I think he said it was in Kansas. Not very far. He's like, man, I got like the western Kansas and like the the oil pan blows and like, you know, stuff's just, you know, looks like a sprinkler system going down the interstate. So he pulls into some garage and he's like, yeah, I got it. You know, I need a new. And of course, he knows what's wrong with the car. So he's telling the mechanic, I need A, B, C, and D on this car. And we got to buy parts and da, da, da. So the guy says, well, what are you doing with this car? This is a cool looking car. What are you doing? Hildebrand goes, well, I'm driving in the Indy 500. And the guy says, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, like, you going to the race? He goes, no, 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 I'm in the race. And the guy goes, oh, okay. So the guy gets the car fixed and everything, and Hildebrand's leaving. And the guy goes, by the way, Hildebrand goes, yeah. And he goes, I had no idea they still race these things in that, th- in that race. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just driving there in the car. I'm not actually entering it. <laughs> I, this is a topic probably for, for another day, but, like, the engineering minds for these drivers, oh. boy, it's got to be through the roof. Yeah. Totally. And that, I mean, that's why I'd love to try and get Jack Harvey on this week because, you know, what changes, if any, was Harvey making himself from an engineering standpoint, you know, temperature standpoint, wind, all of that 
to try and um, you know find some speed that he did find to bump Graham Rahal. So we'll continue to monitor things on the Steph Wilson front. Who will be in that car again, Jake? Um, you know, I was feeling here that it will be Graham Rahal. That announcement uh, coming at ten o'clock. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Ed Carpenter up next. Arenas VK at nine thirty. We'll talk a little. Um, you know, people we like, people we don't like. Some odds are out with Kurt Cavan coming up at nine o'clock. For now, let's begin with the team that's clinched a spot in the NBA Finals of this morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha, 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 Omaha. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Quick side note, though. Pit Road Jesus would be great for your fantasy IndyCar. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there for next Pit year. Pit Lane Jesus, right? Pit Lane Jesus. I mean, Pit I Lane cannot Jesus. tell you. I see him in the media center yesterday, and I'm like, is that Charlie White? But he looks like a cool dude, doesn't oh, he? He just looks cool. Without a doubt. He's and like I, wearing like Vans and, you know. And then once he got closer, I'm like, wait, that is J.R. Hildebrand. Yeah. Cool dude, man. Just saying, if you need a name for your fantasy team, there you go. Do we need to do a fast morning check down? We can do one, yeah, sure. Watch how fast I can do this. You ready? Last night, LeBron had 40-10, and 10, wasn't enough, hinted at retirement afterwards. That's because the Nuggets swept the Lakers 113-111. Boston tried to avoid the same fate tonight at 8.30. That's because Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals is underway in Miami. Heat lead that series three games to nothing. Speaking of Miami, the Marlins yesterday, 5-3 losers to the Colorado Rockies. Nobody cares about that. But if you double the number of runs the Marlins had, you would have six. That would make 6-5, which was the score the Reds beat the Cardinals yesterday. It was the Guardian... Uh, 3-0 over the White Sox and in interleague play the Astros over the Brewers 12-2 no reason I picked those definitive teams Uh, also of course yesterday Stephen Wilson it was announced out of the Indianapolis 500 with a fractured vertebrae in his back looks like Graham Rahal may be getting in that car announcement at 10 o'clock this morning J.R. Hildebrand in play as well Um, I think I think it's going to be Graham but we shall see Ed Carpenter going to join us next anything else Kev? 20th Indianapolis 500 for Ed obviously an owner obviously a driver he joins us in the other side right here kevin corey whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you ed carpenter joins us now 20th indianapolis 500 for him uh, obviously an owner with Renus VK and Connor Daly also in the field. And Jake, I think you've mentioned this before. Ed is in a, what would you describe him, an occasional listener to the show? Well, he wants more hockey coverage. Oh. So okay. I, I think he tunes in to find out if we're talking hockey once we give the score. Sure, he loves your cracking takes. Yeah, then he's, my understanding is also a big fan of Nelly. So as soon as he's done listening to us, gets the hockey score, he puts in his Nelly CD. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed, I am also a, big, I'm also a big Nelly fan, so I, I'm glad we have that in common. Uh, I think Jake was accurate with part of his... <laughs> was totally fictional with the back half. I don't have any Nelly downloads or CDs or anything. Oh, I thought... But I do listen. I do listen every morning, but I'm like in and out. I take my kids to school, so I listen then, and then I go from there to the gym, and then I usually get out of the gym like as you're doing your quiz. So, well, if you ever want to call in for the pop quiz every day. Well, thank you for that. Occasionally I, occasionally, I do text Jake when he's talking about something, and I feel like he needs corrected. I just got honked at, by the way, in Carmel. Um, but yeah, everything's fine. But yeah, I, I listen to the show. Do you not yield at the roundabout? I'm also picturing you with like a little Band-Aid underneath the eye, Nelly-like, as you walk out for driver intros coming up on Sunday. Uh, 
that's definitely not me, but it is a funny thought. <laughs> Actually, if we were to grab your phone, I, I think now, like, I'm assuming you have an iPhone, I don't know, but, like, on most phones in the music part, it pl- it has, like, your 25 most played or whatever. What musical artist would be the one that, we'd, that we would immediately look at and go, okay, that's the one that he's playing the most? Uh, I honestly don't listen to much music. I do listen to talk radio more than anything else. Um, but it would be just, like, a country station on Apple Music. I'll tell you what. Can we get that in a promo? I know. I was going to say. It's beautiful. Yeah, uh-huh. Hey, um, Ed Carpenter, let's begin with this. You know, your team, I mean, Renus VK is, once again, a super fast qualifier for you guys. Seemed like Connor maybe thought there was a little more speed that he left out there. Um, you know, for you personally, you're 20th Indianapolis 500. Just overall, your thoughts on the cars that your team brings and then your thoughts on your starting position and where you are as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, to start with, I think the team's done a, a very good job this month. We've had a really, really good month of preparation, and, you know, that obviously goes into the off season. Um, you know, last year we had fast cars. We didn't exactly nail the, the downforce choice and balance perfect in the race to ultimately be able to compete with the Ganassi cars. Huge effort in the off season to, to come back stronger, and I feel like we have. Um, you know, I didn't qualify as well as last year or Renus, uh, and that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, but I really wasn't that worried about it because I'm so happy with the car. Um, obviously, would have liked to have made it into the shootout and enjoyed that fun instead of getting a sunburn on pit lane trying to help Renus out. Um, but yeah, I feel feel very good, happy for Renus. It's oh so close to another pull for the team. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like we're really well prepared and have great race cars. Ed, putting the qualifying spots to the side for a second, I think you've kind of hinted at it even in that answer. It sounds like you feel a little bit more confident about where you guys are at from a race day car standpoint, whether it's Renus, Connor, or yourself. Yeah, I mean, we've. I think that's the thing that I'm most happy about is we've been very consistent. Um, with the car over over the different days and different conditions that we've faced. So I, I feel prepared. I mean, ultimately, you still have to make the right choices for race day. And, you know, some of the usual suspects are still going to be, you know, the challengers and guys that you have to beat. But, you know, I, I did hear you talking earlier and the question you were going to ask me about why, you know, we qualify or appear to have better qualifying cars than race cars. And I don't, I wouldn't totally agree with that. I think we've had great race cars i've certainly had cars capable that i feel like are capable of winning you know last year we didn't nail it perfect but renus renus was up in the mix and strong i was up for a while and we kind of faded late um so i feel like we do have good race cars we just you know a 500 mile race is extremely hard obviously and you know it comes down to execution on that day and i feel like that's the last little bit that we have to zero in on as a team but I I do feel like we have all the tools as a team and with with Team Chevy as a partner to to go out and get it done on Sunday with one of our three cars Ed you can speak to this because you're a car owner Um, we were talking I don't know if you heard us talking about it but it is now officially we know for certain that Ryan Reinbold and Cusick Motorsports are going to announce at 10 o'clock their driver that is going to fill in for Stefan Wilson. And our, our thoughts certainly are with Stefan Wilson and his recovery. Great guy. Um, 
but they have now said definitively at 10 o'clock they are making that announcement i've been told by a couple of people but not anybody that's you know not graham rahal and not anybody with the team but i've been told that they think it is going to be graham rahal but you're a chevrolet owner you're a chevrolet guy graham rahal is a honda team a honda guy that car is a chevrolet how difficult would the contractual mess be of taking someone from a Honda team and putting them in a Chevrolet engine? Uh, I mean, certainly Chevrolet would have had to approve it, and Honda would have to approve it. You know, but I, other than that, I don't think it's that big of a mess. You know, it's obviously there's things that they won't want Graham to know or see. You know, but at the same time, I think Jake, you know this the the racing community is tight. There's a lot of friends that cross, you know, the politics. There's people that work at, you know, Ilmore that, that helps build the Chevrolet engines, used to build the Honda engines before HPD did it alone. So there's there's friendly relationships across competitors. And, you know, I think that, I think Graham is probably the best choice, you know, as much as I like JR and I'm friends with JR, um, you know, especially the heartbreak that Graham went through last weekend. You know, I think everybody feels that. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's that hard to overcome. And I and I think even from the the things that they wouldn't want him to know, I think they can, they can give him a vanilla enough version of the detail of what his options are for him to not understand and be able to take, you know, things back to Honda other than what he felt. Um, but you know, we have drivers bounce between manufacturers each and every year. You know, Alex Rossi was a Honda guy forever, now in a Chevy car. Tony Kanaan was a Honda car last year, now now a Chevy car. It goes both ways. Um, so there's there's information transfer and loss each and every year. So I don't think they would worry about it as much as you know helping a team do the right thing and make the right choice for them. Do you think it'll be Graham? Um, I think so. Yeah. I, but I, I was curious last night, I was talking to another competitor about it and he was like, I don't know if Chevy will let it happen. And I'm like, I think they will. And then I heard you guys talking about it this morning, which was all my, my best information comes from you, Jay. So, <laughs> well, wait a minute. As scary, as scary as that is. I don't know if that ego is going to fit well, in his turn three seat. So, coming up so this, on hold on. Now, now this is a good opportunity for me to, you know, cause uh, um, I lack a lot of confidence at, um, at least in sure. my racing knowledge. I mean, I'm within, I'm within par here, right? Like in terms of understanding what goes on at the speedway, am I at least like in the, in the, the ballpark of competent? Yeah. You're, you do your work and you know, you know, enough people to take know the scoop. I mean, I do have to text you on air every now and then to correct a few things, but you know, you're, you're batting a, a pretty healthy average. <laughs> Ed Carpenter, who unfortunately is now stroking the ego of Jake Flurry here <laughs> on this Tuesday morning with us on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Ed, I want to stick to the Ray Hall situation from Sunday for just a second because I think you would provide some pretty good perspective on it. And I don't think, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I don't think you guys have ever had a car bumped. But from an ownership standpoint, like what would that mean? Like what does that mean to United Reynolds? What does that mean to... Graham's sponsor as a full-time driver the fact that that car is now you know as of now let's just say that it's not going to be in the 500 and it's not going to be on Stefan Wilson's car or adding to Catherine Lake's car etc cetera, etc cetera. 
it's devastating. I mean, you know, the, the, from a personal level, from a team level, the amount of effort and energy that, that goes into this race, devastating. Then you, then you throw in, you know, the commercial aspect of it. And, you know, that, I think that really depends on the reaction of the partner. You know, I think in most cases, these partnerships, you know, they're built on, on strong relationships. And I think, you know, they feel the devastation with you. Um, but it is an interesting thing because I, you know, the reality is getting, getting bumped as devastating as it is. And I remember this, you know, when Hinchcliffe got bumped and Ryan Hunter Ray got bumped, he ultimately was still in the race, but you know, from a commercial standpoint, it's awful to not be there, but I also think there's probably data to back up. They will end up still getting more coverage than some people in the race just because of the, you know, how huge the storyline is, you know, they're not going to be in the race, but it's going to get talked about in the broadcast. And I'm sure there's going to be some cutaways of, of that United rentals car. So I think they still get some value out of it without even being in the race. You know, what they don't get is an opportunity to, to win the race and, you know, get that, that imagery and exposure that lasts a lifetime. But it's, you know, it's really just devastating from, you know, the failure of, of not, not being good enough that particular year. And, you know, it's, my team can tell you, you know, as, as consistently quick as we've been here, you know, that's, that's my worst nightmare each and every year until we get to the speedway. And I know that we have decent speed and feel safe. You know, I don't really feel comfortable ever. Um, and even, even with the way the qualifying format is now, you know, you can have something happen any given time that, that could put you in jeopardy of that last row shootout. And, you know, it's, it's, it's terrifying to even think about. And that's why I think everyone, everyone feels for, for Graham and, and his team the way they do. You know, Ed, as, as somebody who owns, Ed Carpenter's our guest on the Payless Agris Hotline, as an owner of a multi-car team, you'd be a good person to ask this for for fans. I mean, myself included, I've always kind of wondered this. Aside from, obviously, drivers liking things a little different, if a, if a car has, if a team has three cars and all three are going out to qualify, or four cars and all four are going out to qualify, and they all have the same Delara chassis. They all have the same Honda or Chevrolet engine. Other than the driver, what? Why would there? Why would you not set all of them up to whichever one is the fastest setup, and have them totally identical to one another? I mean, it. That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, in our case, we were very, very much the same. Um, I don't know if the Ray Hall cars were or not, you know, when you get into that desperation mode, sometimes you start, you know, they may have all been trying different things, just searching and, you know, trying to spread out the load. But, you know, some years we've been identical. Some years we've been a little different just for feel and comfort, confidence of the driver, you know, confidence to be able to go out and be committed to those laps is just as important as having, you know, the right setup and balance on the car. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of variables that go into that from the driver's style, but, you know, my feeling typically is that if the car is good, the car is good. And, and everyone here are high level competent drivers and we'll figure it out. Um, but sometimes, you know, 
different drivers to need a little different feel or prefer a little something different. But my guess is they weren't all that different. And, you know, as, as hard as we work to build the cars identical, you know, you can, you can have identical, what you think is identical setups and cars and there can still be variance in speed. I mean, it's, we can't make them perfect and Delara isn't perfect, you know, and the way this weekend was with the windy conditions during qualifying, you know, that can vary the speed quite a lot, just the, the luck of the winds. So there, there's so many things that go into it, but yeah, it's, that's the biggest challenge is trying to make, make all the cars as close as possible in speed. You start in a row with Scott McLaughlin and Kyle Kirkwood, a couple of pretty good drivers. You are right behind a row with Marcus Erickson and Will Power, pretty good drivers, and then the rookie Benjamin Peterson right in the middle of both of them just in front of you. Do you worry more at the start of the race about your row and those that are going to be beside you trying to move in or what happens with the row directly in front of you? Um, you know, first and foremost, I worry about myself and getting off to a, a good start and timing it well, um, you know, and, and making it through those first couple corners. You know, I don't want this to sound like a slight to Benjamin because I like Benjamin. I'll see him today at the gym. Um, he's a great kid, works his butt off, and he's a good driver. But it doesn't change the fact that he's going to experience a first of his life being a part of a three-wide start at Indianapolis, and I wasn't prepared for it as a rookie. No one is fully. Um, so, you know, I I will be keeping an eye on him just because he's going to be experiencing something for the first time, and no matter how much A.J. talks to him or his teammates, you know, he's not going to know what that's like until the first time. So, you know, that, that always makes me nervous when there's a, a rookie there, no matter who it is. Um, so... I guess to answer your question, other than worrying about my own my own job, I, I probably will be focused a little more on on that road than mine. What is it like? I mean, if you had to describe it, what's it like? Um, I mean, it's definitely much harder when you're not on the front row, just because there's so, there's so much turbulence. the The acceleration rate going down into turn one is so fast with with you know twelve cars in front of me, you know. 10 or so cars in front front of the row in front of me and you know you, you're lifting off the gas slowing down a little bit and even with that deceleration you know the car just wants to keep going and you know it's we have you know we'll have been on the track carb day but indy has a way of giving you something different you know even if you go out with the same car that that will run on friday it'll 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 feel a little different on race day um, with conditions and whatnot. So, you know, everyone's going to be feeling out their car and, you know, you don't totally know what you have until you get through the first couple corners. So there's just a lot of unknowns and, you know, some guys are aggressive, some guys are way over cautious. So you just have to be prepared for everything. No different than kind of the checkup you saw that caused Stefan's accident yesterday. You know, anything can happen and you, you've got to be prepared for all of it. Ed, I got two more, if you don't mind, and thank you for the time here on this Tuesday morning. And Ed Carpenter is with us. Uh, first one, um, the amount of passing, the you know ease, the ease of that. Uh, how do you think that will be from, I guess, an entertainment standpoint coming up on Sunday? Uh, I think it'll be good. I mean, I think it'll be similar to more similar to last year than different. You know, we do have the more downpours at our disposal which I think will help, especially if it's a, a warm day. You know, I think it'll it'll not spread us out as much as if we didn't have the downforce. 
you know, I, I think you'll see, you know, the top four, five cars in a train be able to kind of race each other. As you get deeper into the pack and the draft, it, it does make it hard still just because the draft is so strong that it's it's hard to get a big enough run to overcome that draft even when a guy does make a little mistake. Um, but I think it's going to be a great show. You know, you, you are going to see a lot of maneuvering early with, you know, I'm sure guys are going to be saving fuel. That's just the way the race is now. You know, guys can't just run hard out front and not be at a disadvantage. You know, so that slows the pace down early and keeps the field tight. Um, but, it, you know, I have no doubt it's going to be an exciting show, just as we saw how exciting last year's finish was. Okay, last one. Um, not that I am anywhere near close to having the amount that I would need because Lord knows that Pacers bet that I had would have to times by about a million for me to <laughs> yeah, even think about this. But it's something that I get asked a lot about, and I'm curious just as much as people asking me about it. How much, Ed, would it cost for Kevin Bowen and his cronies to put together a somewhat competitive back row potential package for next year's Indy 500? Um, I, maybe seven hundred fifty, eight hundred thousand dollars maybe would get you there. Um, it just depends on the year and and what your what other competitions there you know fighting for for those last entries. Um, but yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. If we the Pacers bed did not <laughs> didn't get that you much. that much. No, no. If no. we wanted the paint scheme to look like. Um, you know, if we were like, look, we're all about champions. We want to represent champions. So therefore, we wanted half of the car to look on the paint scheme of the logo of the 2023 Stanley Cup champions. And then the other side of it is going to be Ed Carpenter's favorite team. Oh, I thought Nelly was going to be on the other and side. And Nelly, yeah. That's on the, the, the wing. Okay. The, the, the car would be designed as what two hockey clubs, Ed? Oh, um... So I need to pick the champion and my favorite. Um, So I would go with the Colorado Avalanche as my favorite. And I think this year it'll most likely be the Florida Panthers. Wow. Okay. I haven't been been watching as much since I've been in the car. It's amazing how out of touch I've become with the world in, in these couple weeks of May. By the way, great work yesterday pulling the chair out from Felix Rosenquist. <laughs> Solid. On the picture. That was that was some nice seventh grade humor there. That was good. Yeah, he was he was late. I don't like being late to anything. Um, so I would be lying if I said I wasn't annoyed. Um, and I told the guys, everyone was clapping for him when he came up, and I was like, I'm going to pull his chair out. And I don't think anybody believed that I was going to do it, but Felix is a friend. And I knew he would take it the right way. Um, so we had a little fun. Well, if you drive as well as you executed that coming up on Sunday, you uh, might be in victory lane here. <laughs> That's the plan. Ed, we appreciate the time as always. And I always say uh, best of luck in carb day, best of luck in race day. But most importantly, have a safe run, all right? Sounds good. It's good talking to you guys this morning. Thanks, appreciate Ed. It. Appreciate you listening. Ed Carpenter of Ed Carpenter Racing, starting his 20th Indianapolis 500. He will be doing so inside of row number five. It's been a while since I've tried the old pull the chair out trick. <laughs> but, Ed, 
masterful with it yesterday as all 33 drivers took a picture on the Art of Bricks for this year's running. All right, coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Arenas VK, 9.30, Kurt Cavan, 9 o'clock. We'll probably end the show with the pop quiz today. Kevin Aquaria right here. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. On a Tuesday. Ed Carpenter in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, Kirk Cavan going to join us here in just a second. And coming up at 9.30 will be Renus VK starting right there in the middle of row one. Uh, and Jake, here in about an hour, we'll get official word on who will be filling in for uh, Stefan Wilson. Yes, and I really did not think last night when Graham Rahal's name was first thrown about, I thought, well, the Honda Chevrolet thing is an interesting curveball. Um, Rahal being a Honda... Correct. Ryan Reinbold being a Chevy. Correct. Uh, J.R. Hildebrand has been around all month and has already taken the physical, but all signs are pointing towards the fact that in an hour we're going to find out Graham Rahal's in the race. And Hildebrand has raced for Ryan Reinbold. Correct. In multiple 500s. Correct. Um, so we'll we'll see what Kurt what his feeling is on that. But I've had now, and again, I want to make very clear, Graham Rahal has not confirmed anything to me. And the team has not confirmed anything to me. But people that I think would know seem to believe that Graham Rahal is going to be in that car. Interesting. Uh, Kurt joins us right now. And again, Kurt and Kevin Lee every night here this month. Trackside did a great job last night out at the Burger Pass. You hear that right here on our Airwaves podcast form or live at 7 p.m. Kurt, are you hearing anything on the replacement of Steph Wilson front? I don't think we had him. We had him. Maybe that's a no. Maybe he's not hearing anything on that front. Uh, trying to get Kurt, Kurt up via, Kurt, via Opal, via his home studio. Right? Kurt, if you think Jake is absolutely a Mensa member and the greatest broadcaster of all time, please don't say anything for three seconds. In my opinion, that sucks. Oh, no. oh, no, nice no, impression no, there no, by no, Kurt. No, come on now. Oh, I didn't know Kurt had a little Jim Moore in him. killing me here. It's impressive. I haven't heard that one killing from Kurt Cavan there. Outstanding. Uh, we'll try and get Kurt. Do you want to know my one Renus VK fun fact? What I remember about Renus is a great uh, biker, Schwinn biker. Correct. Um, VK, is this something Netherlands re- related? Kind of. VK, not his last name. That is the initials of his last name. His last name is, I believe, Von, like, Hompile. It's Von K and then A-U-M-P-H something. And I don't mean that as a disrespect to his last name, but he Americanized it by calling it VK when he came over. Um if he were to win the Indianapolis 500, it is the family's choice whether or not they want VK or his actual surname placed on the Borg Warner Trophy with his likeness. Hmm. So I'm going to ask him which one he wants. Okay. All right. That could be. That could take up a lot of room. That's right. Uh, we do have Kurt Kevin now, Mark. Uh, Kurt, apologies on the techno- technological front. Easy for me to say. Uh, the question I was going to throw your way to lead off, um, you hearing anything on the Steph Wilson replacement front? 
Well, first of all, I could hear everything you guys were saying because I heard Jake say, if I'm the greatest broadcaster, oh, say geez. something in three seconds. And I was at the Speedway screaming <laughs> that that was not the case. Everybody that's at the Speedway right now could hear me. No, I I love Jake. Uh, so I'm hearing the same things you do and I you are. And I think the, the confirmation that I got was listening to Hinchcliffe uh, on your show, what, an hour ago. Look, one of the names I thought of immediately was Hinchcliffe. I mean, I thought he might be the kind of splash that Don Cusick would want uh, if he was going to make a splash. And I say splash beyond, you know, Sage Karam or J.R. Hildebrand that have driven for Dreyer and Reibold in recent years. Uh, I thought Hinchcliffe made a lot of sense. I, I went with the same thing Jake's talking about last night thinking Graham I just thought it was too much to overcome but if United Reynolds is that important and and I know it is uh, then I could see why Ray Hall would Ray Hall the team would make that push to have Graham in the race but and Kurt with that like that's what I'm hearing you know what I mean like I've had now two different people again Graham hasn't confirmed that sometimes and I don't want to put him in the position of reading into, like, I mean, I'm sure he's got a thousand text messages, right? But that's what I'm hearing. Are, are you hearing the same, or are we both, or are we going on gut? And Which is fine. Well, I think we're going on gut, but what I'm saying to you is when I listen to Hinchcliffe, these drivers talk. They talk to each other. They know. Hinchcliffe spoke with the, with the kind of the authoritative voice that tells me he knows something. That's what I'm getting at. So I didn't know any more than than you did an hour ago, but listening to Hinch tells me that Hinch must know something. And again, he didn't say, he just spoke as if Graham's doing it. So so that's, that's my intel on the subject. You hear Kirk Cavan every single night here during the month of May on these airwaves, 7 o'clock, him and Kevin Lee, outstanding with Trackside. You can catch that in podcast form as well. Um, Kurt, it's a question I've thrown to Jake quite often, and I'll continue to do it all week long with our various guests, so it's the first time I've done it to you. You've got two piles in front of you. One is the four Ganassi cars. The other is the 29 other cars in the field. Which pile are you taking for Sunday? Well, I've been on the Ganassi pile, I don't know, maybe since since September. Uh, I really thought that you know the, the, the equipment package was going to come back similar. That's that's the team that dominated last year's race, even though I know the Arrow McLaren cars were in the hunt late. But I really thought it was going to be a, a Dixon or Pelot race to lose again. Honestly, you know, they were better than Marcus Erickson last year, both those two guys. So I really think it'll be Dixon or Pelot now. We've seen more strength from Arrow McLaren and Team Penske in, in the last, you know, what, three days than I sort of expected. But, and, and maybe a little less from Dixon than I thought in qualifying. But I still think uh, if someone is going to pull off the double, the GMR Grand Prix and the Indy 500, I thought it was going to be Alex Pelot, and he's held up the front end of the bargain. And I see no reason to deviate from, from what I said a week ago or two weeks ago, maybe. Who are we not talking enough about? Well, <laughs> I think we're on the right track, but I the one that we're probably not talking about enough is Takuma Sato. Uh, I think he's going to be outstanding as he always is in this race. I mean, we forget that you know he goes for the goes for the win in turn two in 2012, 
Um, loses that battle with Dario Franchitti. He finishes third uh, one of those other couple years recently. They start to run together a little bit, but he finishes third. I mean, he's within a couple blinks of being a four-time winner himself, and he's done it with different teams. Now he's with the best team he's ever been with. I know Andretti was really good in 2017, but this is top to bottom the best team he's been with, and I think uh, I think he'll be right there, and I wouldn't want him in my mirrors if I was going to the last three or four laps. The guy that I just keep looking at, you know, I think about last year. Kurt Cavan is our guest. Kurt, last year, Erickson... At no point did Erickson feel like he was owning that race until like the last 10 laps. But he was consistently, he was right there like five to eight the entire race. And then when it was time, when it was go time, he was able to go. The guy to me that I could see doing that because he's turned in a ton of laps. I mean, a ton of laps in practice. And I think he just likes the feel of his car. Wouldn't surprise me at all if with like 15 laps to go, Alexander Rossi turns up the wick and goes on that outside line and suddenly becomes a player. And we haven't I talked about it. him at all. No, that that's true. He, uh, he would be he would be someone. Um, again, I go back to, you know, you just talk about Erickson showing the best hand at the end of the race last year, but if Dixon doesn't get caught speeding and Pelot was unfortunate timing coming to pit road when the caution came out, we're not talking about Marcus Harrison, in my opinion. We're talking about Scott Dixon and maybe even Pelo. But so you just don't know. That's that's kind of the thing. This is a this is a long race, and I heard Hinchcliffe say this. You know, anybody in the in the thirty three can win it. I I just don't think so. I think it's somebody from from one of these big four teams, and and really even the big three teams, honestly, in this race, Errol McLaren, Ganassi, or Team Penske. I'm not sure the Andrettis are strong enough, and I'm not sure their driver lineup is strong enough at Indy to win it. Uh, so I think if if you were looking, we're going to do Tier 1 on trackside kind of later in the week, as we usually do, but I think it's it's uh, three cars probably from from – Errol McLaren and and three from Team Penske, maybe even two from Team Penske and the four Ganassis. Those eight cars, nine cars, that's where it's coming from. Kurt, I want to go back to this point. Somebody asked us. I think it's a great point. Not to not to sit here and, and take the the horse and, and continue beating it, but it is a big topic. If Graham Rahal is announced within the hour as the driver to fill in for Stefan Wilson and Brian Reinbold on Cusick Motorsports. And, and I again, I believe that's going to happen. But if that does take place, do you believe that that means that he is simply driving the car that is painted, designed, labeled, logoed as Steph Wilson's? Or would there be some sort of a, a contractual buyout by Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing of money that they would eat to buy out the sponsors of Steph Wilson and put United Rentals on it and basically wrap the car as if Graham Ray Hall is flying his sponsors primarily. Well, that's an interesting, uh, will be interesting to see how that car looks come the weekend. My expectation is it'll be, it'll kind of be a partnership of all of that. I mean, it just stands to reason that Don Cusick wants to to get his sponsors in the race, and the driver he chooses will have sponsors that they need to get in the race, which is the reason they're doing it. 
and it'll be it you know whether it looks like one car or another it probably will look like a, a hodgepodge of the two in some respects if it's Graham, uh, I would expect it to have more of a United Rentals look with with certainly a Don Cusick Motorsports feel. You know, Don Cusick has been working for this for, for quite some time and, and two years really in the making for Steph Wilson, which is on top of everything else, just the, the gut-wrenching part of this. He's been, you know, it's all he's been working for as a professional race car driver. So I would expect it. Uh, to to kind of look like a lot of things, uh, but maybe more of a feel of of you know the team that's that's buying him out, not buying him out. Let's let's get rid of that. That's a replacement driver. Graham said that the other day. He wanted no part of buying his way into the Indy Five Hundred, and this is not that. I appreciate you know some might make that connection or use those those words, but if it's Graham, it's because a driver was needed. He's been on track, so he doesn't need a refresher. He's a good racer. He's a big splash. If that's the way Don Cusick chooses to go, it'll be because of Don's decision, not because Graham's people were were trying to get him in. He's Kirk Cavan, writes for IndyCar, and obviously you hear him again on trackside every night here during the month of May alongside Kevin Lee. Kurt, I... <laughs> I don't know if I agree with the question I'm even asking, but I'll ask it anyways. And maybe this has more to do with the age gap between these two guys, 10 years, and how the race ended for Scott Dixon last last year. Would you say more pressure on Scott Dixon or more pressure on Joseph Newgarden coming up on Sunday? Well, it depends on if the pressure is internal or external. I think the internal pressure is significant with with joseph newgarden you can just feel it with him uh you know what has he won 25 26 27 races now in his indycar career but this one has eluded him i think i think you know (laughs) he's going he's wound tight for this event i don't think there's any question about that dixon's pretty relaxed as he always is he's chill uh you know external pressure I don't think Scott Dixon feels it. He he's done everything he can do. He's won the Indy 500. He's dominated the Indy 500. He's led more laps than any driver in history. We talk about it all the time. The Indy 500 tends to choose its winner, and it just hasn't gone right for Scott. Most of the time, you know, you think about the big crash he had. That had nothing to do with him. Uh, the crash down in turn two or turn one, and you know he he's had. Maybe one big mistake in the in the 500 when he crashed on the front straightaway, but largely it just hasn't chosen him, and I think he he's okay with that. Kurt, you get a 10 day all expense paid vacation, and you are going to have to spend it in the birthplace and or hometown of any winner or excuse me any driver in the field. But Scott McLaughlin and Scott Dixon. Dixon was born in Australia, but he grew up in Auckland. And Scott McLaughlin's also a Kiwi. New Zealand's the obvious answer here. We'll take that off the board. Your answer would be what driver? Well, if it's a vacation or a business trip, and a business trip, I'd like to go see what what Argentina's support for Augustine Canapino is like. I get this sense that this is a country ready to explode for IndyCar racing if it hasn't already. That, That would be really interesting to me. I've been to Brazil with Elio. Uh, very unique experience, I might add. Um, and 
you know, I, I don't want to go to Sweden in the middle of the winter, but um, I, I think I'd like to see what what Argentina is like, and and I think we'll we'll eventually race there, whether or not that's a points paying race during the season or an exhibition at the end of a season. But I think we'll see Argentina on the schedule at some point. Kurt, do you think we should be making more out of? two A.J. Foyt cars in the top 12, and combined you had one Penske and no Andretti, so just one from those two teams, and that was Will Power in 12? Well, the biggest thing we haven't really talked about is Foyt's hiring of Michael Cannon. Michael Cannon put Scott Dixon on the pole as the the lead engineer the last two years, And, and by the way, if he wasn't the actual lead engineer, he was heavily involved. He's one of the really great engineers at the Speedway, and Foyt hired him last year, and he oversees the the engineering uh, exercise. And, you know, we we overlook just how good Ferrucci has been at the Speedway. He's finished in the top ten in the race, the last or his last four races, uh, all four of his races. So Ferrucci's been really good. I think the surprise of the whole week is is Benjamin Peterson. I mean, we didn't. We know he was decent in ovals uh, in in Indy next, but I wouldn't have expected him to be a fast twelve guy. I kind of jokingly said to him the other day, "Hey, you you ran fifteenth today. I think that was Friday. Do you think you can? Are even entertaining thoughts that you could make the top twelve? And he he just laughed. He goes, "Yeah, why not?" And but I don't think I I don't I didn't believe that he could make the top twelve. So that was really impressive, and um, you know, again, Michael Cannon doesn't get enough credit in this, and that's that's the real difference maker for the Foyt team. Okay, so the answer on hometowns: nice job staying in the left lane. We'll do road and street courses now by veering it to the right lane. Uh, the place that you think would be the most fun exotic vacation amongst the hometowns of winners, not because New Zealand's the obvious answer, but outside of that, well. I, you know, I'm not big on on the uh, Japan food. I've been to Japan. Uh, Sweden's cold. The Netherlands cold. I assume I'm going to go in in uh, in the off season. I would like to go to Barcelona with Alex Pelot. That's what I'd like Man. to do. He owned a coffee shop. He's a trendy. You know, let's hit the you know the bistros and and let's see what Barcelona or Barcelona as they call it. I want to go to Barcelona with uh, with Polo. I was there in October, and it is, I mean, it was unbelievable. I, that's a great call. It's a beautiful city. I thought the people were extremely nice. Um, what was Brazil like, Kurt, with Elio? <laughs> well, I'll give you the funniest story. He was dating a, a supermodel at the time. This was 2002, and so we go there, and they were do the biggest magazine or, or tabloid in in sao paulo was doing a feature story and elio was interviewed and the supermodel and they were you know how they were dating and all this stuff and so the magazine came out while we were there and he couldn't wait to see it and we get there and he's looking through the pages it's about an 18 page spread it's unbelievable how how much time and effort they spent on this story and there was one mention of Elio, and it's called him the pilot. It didn't even say he was the Indy 500 winner. He was so disappointed, and uh, it was it was pretty funny. But uh, I think you know that's why we we often will say, and this was very early in Elio's career. But uh, we often say that these drivers are are more these international drivers are more famous in Indianapolis and Central Indiana than they are in their own hometowns, and that pretty well proved it. But again, that was O2. Elio's done so much more since then 
but that was a that was a funny story. Does that illuminate Kurt the fact that the Indy 500 doesn't have the international residence that it once did? I don't know. Well, certainly there's it's it has changed, but I think the the point of the matter is Sao Paulo is such a big. You've been there. It's such a big city. It's such a you know, it's a, it's one of the world's biggest cities, and and uh, the supermodel just outweighed Elio in this case, and it was <laughs> literally so, and figuratively. Yeah, probably. Uh, she was certainly taller, uh, but um, you know, it was such an early time in Elio's career. Do you remember her name by chance? Oh boy, I don't. Are you not Facebook friends? I'll, <laughs> I'll find you. <laughs> Yeah, Kurt, you can text Jake off air and use that for him. Uh, Kurt, great, great work all month long. It's been a fun listening with you and Kevin. I hope the turnout was pretty good last night for you guys. And uh, one more week, right, of 7 o'clock shows on Trackside? Yeah, it'll be hard going back to two hours after you've been doing one hours, but... uh and nightly and news news based, but Kevin, we haven't seen you at the racetrack. What what gives? I see a lot of Jake, but no Kevin. Well, I was there yesterday. You looked you looked very uh, deep in thoughts. I wasn't going to interrupt you. Um, sitting front and center there in the media room, and I was there. I was there with the family Sunday. I, I've been out there three three times so far. Well, that, it just doesn't cut it. If I was at Colts camp. You know, you'd see me. So let's let's get things straightened out. You know, I, I kind of walk around in the media center, and I'm like, boy, these people are just so much more intelligent than me about <laughs> this. Like, I kind of feel out of place a, a little bit there. So we'll be, hey, we'll be we'll be back out there Friday morning for uh, for Carb Day. Sounds good. See you guys. That's Kurt Cavan right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. People people don't recognize you because you have your shirt on. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. you take your shirt off. Like that's Kevin Bowen. I Kurt know that. sounded I know that thrilled body. at having to see me there on a regular basis. Jake, yesterday I sat up in um up in the penthouse of turn one mm-hmm. and watched practice for a bit. Is that the best seat in the house? It's pretty good. I mean, I'm biased to say the, the top of three. I guess they're, the, it's six to one half dozen the other. It's the same vantage point, right? Yeah. Uh, but one a little bit is, more shade, of course, than one. Yeah, and you three. see the pits too, so probably one. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty sweet up there. You would rather you like turn three, but like for for, uh, for calling the race, you like three the best out of the four of them. Yeah, because it's the longest call. So I have, I mean, selfishly speaking, I love me some me, right? I have the longest track responsibility. Yeah, that makes sense. But. What's funny is, as a spectator, Kevin, I have sat in every vantage point of that facility, and every one of them that I sit in, I say to myself, "These are the best seats there. This is the best, sure. this is the best vantage sure. point." You know what I mean? We've typically sat in. I uh, just want to be the best Jake that I can be. Yeah, that's that's right, right? Which, and, and more often than not, I am. We've uh, <laughs> we've typically sat in stand J. That's a great seat. Four. Well, great I'm always seat. highly impressed with myself, and I have enjoyed that. But I'm looking forward to sitting in one this year. One is cool, for sure. Basically, we're kind of the end of the main straight, start of one. And like you said, I, I've never really seen the pits out of Stan Jay. And, you know, when you think about it, I mean, last year, how big was that with Dixon? You know, how big was that with Pelot? You know, one of the things that'll be fun to watch where you are, or for people that are listening that are sitting in turn one that don't typically sit there, one of the real fun storylines to watch is late in the race when two of the leaders come into pit at the same time to watch them run off of pit road yeah. from one another to see who blend, you know what i mean and see again blend in i love having sat in turn four for you know whatever about seven or eight years now what i've enjoyed is like you see the formation coming out of three in front of you now it'll be you obviously see them rev it up big time coming at us in one so uh, for many reasons, looking forward to Sunday, and again, no weather jinxes in Kevin Bowen's okay, life. Okay, that's it good. looks Thank you. Yep. outstanding for Carb Day 
and race day here in Indianapolis. The man who will start in the middle of row one, Renus VK, going to join us here in about five minutes. Let's lead off the morning check down with a sweep of the LA Lakers. The morning check down. On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. The Denver Nuggets, for the first time in NBA history, they will play in the finals. They had 44 playoff series in the history of their franchise, and they completed their first ever sweep of a playoff series last night. As a big third quarter was the difference, and then they held on in the fourth, 113-111. Um... Four games to none over the Lakers. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists for Nikola Jokic. Jamal Murray, 25. Aaron Gordon, 22. LeBron did have a chance late, and LeBron was vintage. I mean, think of Cleveland Cavaliers, game six against the Celtics. LeBron, 31 in the first half. He played every minute last night. Um kind of a driving attempt there to force the game in overtime. Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray played terrific defense on LeBron. Uh, no good on that one. And Jake, I'd say a little cryptic from LeBron post-game. Again, this was in a one-on-one with Dave Dave McMenamin from ESPN basically saying he's got to take some time and make a decision about next year. I like to say it's a successful year because I don't play for anything besides winning championships at this point in my career. And, um, and I don't... I don't get a kick out of making a conference appearance. I've done it a lot. And, <laughs> and it's not fun to me to not be able to be able to be a part of, uh, you know, getting to the finals. But, um, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens going forward. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot to think about, to be honest. I had a lot to think about, to be honest, and um, just for me personally, going going forward with the game of basketball, got a lot to think about. I think that is LeBron's way of saying, "Look, I mean, he he had forty ten and nine. Anthony Davis, who I thought they probably were were going to start shifting towards it being Anthony Davis's team, twenty one and fourteen, solid numbers. But I think that's the and I know people are going to say like, well, LeBron's the one that was running the team and he built this roster. No, no, no. Okay, the guy, in my opinion, is the most versatile, skilled basketball player in the history of the game. I think he's an unbelievable performer, and there is no athlete in the history of sports that has been more dedicated to their physical conditioning and taking care of themselves than LeBron James. And if he walks away, it's a, an unbelievable career that matched everything that was expected. Tonight, we'll see if the Heat can complete their sweep of the Celtics, a slight favorite at home over Boston. I think one and a half points last I saw, so... Uh, if that happens, we will not have an NBA Finals game until a week from Thursday. No matter what, that's the start of the Finals. So we could have a big break here uh, for from the Conference Finals. Uh, yesterday, Major League Baseball, Reds won on a walk-off. Sack fly, baby. Nick Senzel with that one. Um, what did I miss here? Guardians beat the White Sox 3-0. Tigers over the Royals. Did you mention cute fella? Uh, no. Cute fellow won and the Athletics shockingly lost. <laughs> Did the Cubs play, Mark? No, they were off. So were the Diamondbacks. Again, we're, we're they are now the Oakland non-Athletics. Yeah, yeah I think that's smart. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. 1,000%. They're bringing treats and beverages to, for their... <laughs> Orange you know, slices. Yeah, to every game. Uh, okay, Rena Svike. He joins us next. We'll push the pop quiz a bit to round out the show. Kevin Aquari. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Kevin, you want a bold prediction? Ed Carpenter will rock the Band-Aid under the eye for driver introductions coming up in honor of Nelly. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Uh, my bold prediction for you is that within the second time that they come past me in turn number three, our next program will be at the front of the uh, our next guest of the program will be in the front of the field. If not on the lead lap, he will be leading by lap two. Yeah, I. Uh, if you're going to say, "All right, Kevin, predict who's going to lead lap one of the Indianapolis 500," I would probably say it is our next guest. He joins us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline. He will be making Renus VK will yet another start up front in the Indianapolis 500 mile race. He has been an unbelievable qualifier in terms of finding his way um, to the front after qualifying. Fourth, third, third, second now is where he has started the race. Renus, you ready to go? I'm very ready, yes. now what do you think about my prediction that you will be leading what's the thought process i mean do you you know do you say to yourself hey it's go time like you and colton herta did two years ago or do you say you know what i'm gonna kind of let the fuel come to me and hold back a little bit um you know if if i can lead love one or two you know why not but i'm definitely um the remainder of the race, I mean, the first 150 laps, kind of want to be sitting in second or third and just uh, save fuel. Renus, what are the biggest things you've learned from starting up front? I mean, you have really an unprecedented record here in your first couple of starts and being up in the first, really, three or four positions. Uh, what have you learned from the starts of races? Um, well, I mean, it's... Um, People take it pretty easy, actually, at this race. The other drivers, uh, you know, it's a long one, and we are three wide, but quite stretched out. So the start is pretty pretty calm for me in front. But, I mean, um, yeah, it, it, it's nice to be the middle one in line because I can go either in or outside if I need to. Yeah, and that's an interesting thing because, and I've always wondered about this. I mean, obviously, you have Pelodier inside. You got Rosenquist to the outside, do how does it work so to speak is it kind of your job to figure out which one of those you're you're gonna kind of carry through or does rosenquist dive down do you guys have the conversation i mean what is the protocol um we haven't yet well you know alex is the one that actually starts the race so he will probably have a jump and you know i'm closest to him i can dive in his slipstream and it should be, you know, we should be kind of slotting him back to each other. Serena's VK is with us here on the Pale Zickers Hotline, obviously driving for Ed Carpenter Racing, starting second here coming up on Sunday. Renus, what's the, um, what's the favorite thing about this month, this buildup, or just the race in general for you as you've experienced a couple of Indy 500s now? For me, the favorite thing is just uh, the history that's still around the track. Um... You know, we all the stuff we do, the the parades and everything outside of the track. It's um, there's it's so much more than just the race. What was your first Indy 500 memory? My first Indy 500 memory. Well, whenever I was a kid, my dad 
my dad kept showing me the video of uh, Ari Leyendike winning two Indy 500s before I was born. So, uh, yeah, that's really where it started for me. And, you know, Ari Leyendike, for those that don't know, the 1990-1997 winner of the race. And, you know, I, I don't know about now, Renas, but certainly in your early career, as you were transitioning kind of up through the ladder series and into IndyCar, Leyendike was a pretty influential guy for you, was he not? Definitely, yeah. I met him uh, in 2017 when I started my my um, my career in the road to Indy. And, well, yeah, you know, first I got to met him. And at one point, you know, he really started to be impressed and uh, became, we became friends. And he's helped me a lot during uh, during my whole career and gave me a lot of very good tips. Now, your last name, and we've asked you this before, but somebody asked me a very interesting question that I wanted to, to pass along to you. I think most know that VK is, and this was certainly from a broadcast standpoint, Renus, I'm appreciative of it. VK is essentially a shortened version of your surname, which is, and, and I don't want to mispronounce this as a disrespect to your family, uh, Von Komthout, is that right? Did I say it correctly? Pretty close, yeah, Von Komthout. Okay, so... You know, you go with VK to kind of Americanize, if you will, or make it easier from a broadcast standpoint. But I was asking my friend Steve Shunk, who who represents the Borg Warner Trophy, if you were to win the Indianapolis 500, would the trophy itself, with your likeness, say Renus VK or Renus Von Countout? And again, I hope I said that correctly. And he said, actually, that is 100% at the discretion and choice of the driver. You would go with which? Yeah. Um, I think I would do VK because that's how everyone sees me win the race. That's how everyone reminds or remembers me winning the race. I actually uh, had dinner with uh, Agustin Canapino yesterday, and he didn't even know that VK was not my real last name. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going to bring confusion if I actually use my, my, my original name. Renis, are you still biking a lot? Um, actually, you know, I have a bike for the month here, but I haven't touched it yet because I'm afraid to fall. So I'm running now. Oh, interesting. Are yeah. you, are you running around the oval? Um, so I've done some running around the oval, but, um, you know, one time I ran onto the track and there was a two seater there. So, I, <laughs> so <I was> <laughs> oh man, I yeah, actually but... enjoy the golf course a lot. Running, uh, running around the, the Brickyard, uh, golf course. Hey, I'll tell you what's interesting. Augustin Canapino, who is a rookie from Argentina, his car is, if you looked at it from above, it looks like the Argentinian flag. He drives for Junco's Holiger Racing. Um, interesting that you had dinner with him. Was that like a sponsor dinner, or is this someone that you have befriended? Because he is he is relatively new to the series, obviously. So what is your relationship with him? Yeah, it was actually in the motorhome lot. They were doing um, uh, Argentinian barbecue, and I was on my own. I asked, you have extra meats. He's like, yeah, come on. And I just, uh, I brought a, brought a chair and we just had some, uh, some dinner. So that's, that's the nice thing about IndyCar. And, uh, I think especially guys, um, you know, that are new to the series, especially in being new to open wheel racing, we really welcome them into the series. That's actually super cool to be honest with you. Um, and I'm curious if you were to do the same thing and, you know, your parents are here, so if you were in the motor lot and you decided to, to make an authentic 
Dutch dinner from the Netherlands. I, I don't even know what would the dish be that you know what 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 sort of food would you be introducing him to? So, um, the name of the dish that I like a lot is andive stampot, which is um, shredded endives with uh, mashed potatoes, and it's a mash. So basically, just throw it all together with one of my grandpa's famous. Uh, meatballs. Grandpa's famous well, meatballs. That sounds really good Love to me. That. Yeah. Love it. Gosh. Yes. Uh, Verena's very good. If you don't mind, could you describe a little bit more of what the you know driver lot is like this month? Uh, obviously practices can reach, you know, into the six o'clock debriefs after that, seven o'clock. But you know, yesterday you guys ended practice around three. W- w- what goes on at night? You guys hang out, you guys chat? What's that like? Um well I was um just sitting around in a motorhome and I see a pickup um, reversing uh, like a big um, construction light into the motorhome lot. So I'm like, what's going on here? So the guys uh, built a pickleball court with tape on the ground. They got a they got a net and they needed to play at night, so they got a they got some huge lights. Um, yeah, so. We were all playing pickleball. Everyone was just having fun. Okay, Gosh, who's the that. who's yeah. the best and Who worst pickleball player? I think the team to beat now is uh, Scott McLaughlin and Colton Herta. Ooh, okay. Interesting. And then who sucks? Like, who's the one that you would be like, I do not want that guy as my pickleball partner? Um, I've seen Connor play. And to be honest, he's a great guy. <laughs> Boy. But he's not made for pickleball. Mark, we have Connor on tomorrow, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. We're, no, we're gonna uh, Thursday. Thursday. Okay. Thursday. We're gonna. Have hey, to Renus, him. are you good, Renus? Huh? Yeah, I'm good. Are you? I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm a decent player. You know, I, I've done three games so far. I'm not a very. Um, you know, I'm a novice player, but uh, I mean, uh, they turn out to always go over the net and in the court. So that's uh, that's uh, okay. Well, you know, the, I don't know if you still go there. But the gym where I used to see you working out a lot, especially when you first got over to the U.S. and were, were getting acclimated to Indianapolis, you would you would be. We went to the same gym, and they've com- they've turned the basketball courts into strictly pickleball. So if you still belong to the gym, you can practice all you want. Oh, awesome! No, actually, uh, I live in Florida now. So that's what I thought. I uh, thought you weren't living here anymore. That's smart. No, so uh, they are actually in my community where I live. They are building six pickleball courts, so I can pick it up for next year. All right, Renus, last one from me. And I was curious. Yesterday, I sat up in um, up in turn one. It was such a great view, and I absolutely loved it. What is the hardest turn out there on the oval? I think in the race, it's turn two. Um, you always want to have a really good run out of turn two and turn four to set up a pass. But turn two, you got, um, I know it's a bit of a weird reference when you're um, trying to get down to the line because you've got the, in the road course kind of, you know, you, you have like a patch of track and then, you know, it, it just looks a lot different. And that's also where most guys, you know, um, screw up in the race. Renus, last one for me. And by the way, two also has, I think, kind of a unique wind perspective because it has the lowest grandstand coming off the exit of it that air can get in and kind of circle around. But I'm not in a car, but it just feels that way. Um, if I was going to go to, and I'm 
strictly asking a personal question here just for my own benefit, and I apologize for that to listeners. Uh, if I was going to go to Amsterdam or the Netherlands at the end of October, um, airfare seems to be the most affordable. In the last week of October, like right at the beginning of November, what would the weather be like? Is it basically the weather is the same as Indianapolis, or is it warmer than here? Um, it would probably be like uh, around 50s and rainy and gray. That's um, that's a Dutch fall. So, <laughs> I mean, if you go to the Netherlands, go to the Netherlands in June because that is the best month. Okay, well, boy, quite the damper there, Jake. Sorry about that. Airfares <laughs> yeah. in your rain jacket. It sounded like Renus describing <laughs> Connor Daly's pickleball game. Uh, Renus, good luck on Sunday, man. I know it's been a, just an incredible past couple of years for you from a qualifying standpoint. We had Ed Carpenter on earlier. Pretty confident in you guys as a race car as well coming up. You, Connor, and Ed himself. So looking forward to watching you on Sunday. Thank you very much. Renus VK right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Get up my galoshes. Yeah, uh huh. <laughs> All right, Shannon. Good news. Uh, you just got the update. We got a we got a great airfare, but <laughs> I got you this new slicker in case it rains. <laughs> we we've got ponchos uh, are free. They got a suntan city in Amsterdam, so we'll head over there. Oh, are we going on made of the mist? No, actually, <laughs> we'll round it out with the pop quiz three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Maybe Ed Carpenter can call in for the pop quiz after he talked about it earlier in the show. Uh, we'll do the pop quiz to end it. Can you? Ha- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Handle the pressure. Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Mark, look ahead to the rest of the week. Will power tomorrow, correct? Correct. You said Connor Daly Thursday. Connor Daly Thursday. And Open up after that. We'll see. We'll see. We still lines out to drivers and... Couple. Could have a Graham Ray Hall, Jack Harvey at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Shaquille O'Neal. If, Whoa! If we can. Whoa! Um, We're working on it. I'm pretty excited about it. We're just going to play a bunch of yeah, cool music. I'd say if we can get Shaq, stay away from any impersonations of <laughs> of Mr. Diesel with that one. Okay, uh, pop quiz time. we got to go relatively quick. Scotty says it's one of the easiest You know, I don't know if you know this done. or not, but getting Diesel as your DJ, far more expensive now than it was like five years ago. In my opinion, that's Mark, no, no, easy. Mark number one through eight. Let's go with four. What? Greg. Number four is Greg on one of the easier pop quiz. That was Scotty saying it. Greg, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. Greg, you a fan of the 500? Love it. Go every year. Started taking the boys when they were 10. We have a big party in turn three. Nice. So we missed two years because the infield was closed. But uh, we started at four. I think this year up to 21. So that's how traditions are started, right? That is awesome. Will you uh, try and venture over to get a look at Shaq? We invited him to our turn three party along with Mario. <laughs> so, uh, you know, hey, uh, we'll see who shows up. Um, but nope. Diesel's more than welcome. To I've over. never been invited to this, and I'm in three. No, you're right across from us, Jake. We see you, we wave, and you stay up in your perch and don't come over. Hey, I'm Shaquille. You guys got room in beer pong for me to sneak in here? <laughs> okay. Can you imagine? He would suck at beer pong if it's like free throw shooting. Uh, Greg, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one? Always Jake. My man. Uh, the Denver Nuggets are the fourth and final for- former ABA team to reach the NBA Finals. 
But who of the four was the first to reach the NBA Finals? The four ABA teams that were absorbed into the NBA were the Nets, Pacers, Spurs, and Nuggets. Uh, To the Spurs. Okay. All right, number two here, Greg. The Lakers are now 0-9 in playoff series in which they've fallen behind three games to none. How many total games did they win in those nine series losses? A, zero, B, one, C, three, or D, five? Go with three. A lot of brooms. A whole lot of brooms. Let's go with zero. Question number three. Jim Brown passed away late last week at the age of 87. As a rookie with the Cleveland Browns, he rushed for 237 yards in a game against the Rams. That is the first 200-yard rushing game in NFL history. It set a rookie record that would last for decades. But who finally broke Jim Jim Brown's record for most rushing yards in a game by a rookie? Was it Mike Anderson, Corey Dillon, Adrian Peterson, or Bo Jackson? Bo Jackson. And number four here, Greg. I By the way, what's the mess? What's the must-have food and/or drink every year at the party? Uh, we do uh, breakfast burritos, and then we do tacos for lunch. We bring the Blackstone in. Nice. We do it up. Gosh, you're, you're not invited. messing around. Everybody's invited. This is how many guys? people? Let's go. Twenty-one. He's like up to twenty-one. Age range of what? Um, basically, the whole Ben Davis varsity baseball team will be there. So, like sixteen through. 15. Let's go! Let's go, Giants. Let's do it here. Okay, number four, Greg. Which Hall of Fame is Jim Brown not a member of? The Pro Football Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame, or the National Track and Field Hall of Fame? Uh, Lacrosse. What an amazing question. (laughs) I mean, the fact that he is a part of three of them. Okay, last question, Greg. True or false? The Buffalo Sabres suck. Uh, that is uh, that is true. <laughs> Greg's a huge <laughs> Buffalo sports fan. All right, Stefan Wilson is out of the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500, of course, after the unfortunate incident and suffering the injury yesterday after it crashed with Catherine Legg. Name the last driver before Wilson to qualify for the 500 but then not start in the actual race due to an on-track accident. Dennis Firestone, James Hinchcliffe, Scott Brayton, or Brian Herta? That is correct. He was replaced by Ryan Briscoe, by the way. Greg, I appreciate the call. We're kind of up against it here. Uh, He got the Spurs right. Got zero wins for the Lakers. That is correct. They have been swept nine straight times. Like you said, Jake, James Hinchcliffe was correct. Three and four, the slip-ups. Corey Dillon and the National Trek and Field Hall of Fame. He is probably the greatest lacrosse Greg, have a hell of a party, man. That sounds awesome. Give us a wave. Greg's son, Owen, by the way, on his way to become... He was the voice of the Ben Davis Giants, now on his way to try to become the voice of the Indiana State Sycamores. And a kid that that I first met probably one of those first years he went to the Indy 500. Throw Jake a breakfast burrito. Boy, that'd be a long toss. Not sure Patrick Mahomes could make that that toss happen. You know, the, the, the folks that sit directly below me where I sit. So you go to the top of the Northeast Vista, and then there's a, a on the back of the, the final row, there's a ladder, and you got to climb. It's probably 10 feet up the ladder. So when I come down, I have to yell down to people like, hey, I'm coming down, so they can clear out so that I don't like land on their head. 
Um, and they're always really cool. They're always like, hey, you, you, you want anything? The number of people that yell at me and try to offer me a beer is pretty staggering. One thing I will miss moving from four to one is I usually have a nice pre-race convo with Chris Denary. Uh, you know what? I can hear it because I can barely hear Denary's mic on the intercom at all times. So I can always hear Denary's conversation. Maybe Denary doesn't know it, but I can hear everything he says. And I've heard him before where he's like, da, da, da. I can hear him talking to you. <laughs> That's so in one. I, I would hear him to talking see- about me, too. I need Nick Yeoman in one. Would that be right? Yeoman in one, Michael Young in two. I will be in three, Denary in four. We'll paint the picture more this week. We'll have some of those names on. Some drivers again. Will Power, Connor Daly, amongst others. And Jake, about 15 seconds to go. You believe Graham Rahal, correct? I do think Rahal will be announced. That should be eminent, that announcement here in the next couple of minutes. Everybody have a great, great Tuesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here at 7 a.m. Kevin and Corey.